This week's episode of the Jones Report is presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. We want to be your partner. OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com for the best financial planning around with O'Connor Advisory Group's own Brian O'Connor. You can reach out to Bo at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, Jay Binkley is going to join us from 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City as we'll give Bink's perspective on Super Bowl 58 and hear what Bink has to say about the Chiefs matchup with the San Francisco 49ers. We'll get you everything you need to know coming up in just a matter of moments. Coach Bo also standing by with the football fix. We'll get his thoughts on this game as well as the coaching changes in the NFL and what's going on on the college football side of things with the NIL and transfer portal moves from the SEC, the Big Ten, what the future of that looks like. We'll have our Big 12 breakdown, talk some football and some college hoops coming up later on, Tom Fullery story of the week as well. All that and more in just a matter of moments. Thomas Bridges here with me. We got a loaded show on tap today and Tom, where I want to begin, we have to take a moment to begin the show and recognize the one and only Toby Keith, Oklahoma legend himself, passed away this week, died of stomach cancer. Somebody that you and I grew up listening to. We've seen him at Oklahoma games for years and incredible music, great American. I think Dave Portnoy called him one of the top 10 Americans of all time. Uh, <laughs> Certainly going to be missed, and the world is a better place because of Toby Keith, because of his presence and and what he did for America and this country. I'm going to miss Toby Keith. What are you going to remember about Toby Keith, Tom? Oh, well, obviously him being an OU fan, but I was still sad, obviously. Um, I never saw him in concert or anything, but then I, driving to work the other day, I put on Toby Keith. And I was flipping through the songs, and I was like, okay, I'd listen to most of them. You know, like, I don't know, my journey to work's like 30 minutes, so I could fit some in. And I was I was just going from one song to the next, and I was like, damn, like, there's a lot of bangers on here. Like, I know, I know, like, a lot of Toby Keith songs, and I was just like, oh, I forgot about this one, but still knew all the lyrics. And I was like, that's that's so crazy. I mean, he he had I mean, he was a hit maker. And they don't they don't make country like that anymore. No, he was one of a kind. I came up with a list, Tom, of my top ten Toby Keith songs of all time. And I'll run through this and you give me your critique of this list. Uh should I start from one or should I start from ten and work our way up? Well, I'll start from ten. Okay, number 10, If I Was Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Okay, not bad. I wouldn't that wouldn't make my 10, but not bad. Uh number 9, Crying for Me, the the song he did about Wayman Tisdale when he died. That's a solid one. Number 8, Courtesy of the Red, White and Blue. Yeah, that's solid. Number 7, Who's Your Daddy? Yeah, that's a solid one. Six, Red Solo Cup. 
Yeah, that's what that one's got to be. Uh, that was that was a that was the party classic as soon as it came out. Oh, that one changed. That one inspired a nation. Uh, Red Solo Cup. <laughs> uh, number five, beer for my horses. Yeah, that's got. Yeah, that's probably my. That's in my top five for sure. Whiskey for my man, beer for my horses. Number four, I love this bar. Yeah. Which inspired the I love this bar and grill. Uh, have you been? I think I've been once to the one in Oklahoma City. Okay. Yeah, I don't okay. know if there's more than that, but I've been there once. I've been to that one a few times. Uh, I love the catfish, and they usually have good deals on uh, on PBR, uh, America's favorite blue ribbon. Um, number three, should have been a cowboy. See, that's number one for me, obviously. Did you see the video from that, that got reposted of him singing that at Eskimo Joe's? Oh, yeah. That was incredible. Oh, yeah, that's that's classic, yeah. Number two, American Soldier. Yeah, that one's that one's pretty solid. That, that's as as patriotic as it gets. Uh, in fact, it's th this next one is actually a, a patriotic love song. Um, number one, the number one greatest Toby Keith song of all time. A bit controversial, but it's Toby Keith in true truest form. The Taliban song. Yeah, you would have that one. The yeah, that's not a bad list. I think I'm not going to give you a top ten or anything. I'm just going to run through in no specific order ones that you didn't have on there that I thought are solid. Okay, obviously I'm gonna, I got to put it. Should have been a cowboy. You mentioned that. That's my number one. But uh, wish I didn't know now. Okay. Uh, then then you got a little less talk and a lot more action. That's that's got to be on there for me. Okay. Uh, how do you like me now? Yes. That that's that's that one's up on there. Uh, for me, that's just kind of like a, for me, that's just like a, you you look at somebody and you're like, haha, fuck you. How do you <laughs> like me now? You know, like, uh, this is a top one. This is probably a top five for me. Uh, I want to talk about me. Like, want to talk about you, 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 you. I want to talk about me. <laughs> uh, you know that that one that one's up there for me. Um, beer for for my horses. That was solid. Who's your daddy? You mentioned that one. That's yeah, that's a pretty solid one. Uh, I mean, I love this bars. Great. You mentioned the patriotic ones. Those are those are timeless. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, I mean, we could, we could have a whole, we could talk about this for, for 30 minutes. There's another one. Like you shouldn't kiss me like this. That one's solid. Right. There's a lot of, like I said, I was going through and just driving. I was like, damn, I know this one. And then I was go, you know, I'd click, I was like, okay, I'd sing the first verse of it. I was like, let me see about the next one. I'm like, damn, I know this one too. And just kept going through. And I was like, man, like, I mean, he's he's got a laundry list full of of just bangers. Yeah. We could literally do this all day of going through these these great Toby Keith songs. Like 
songs that you know by heart that you didn't even realize that they were Toby Keith songs. Right. Until I just started putting them on the shuffle, I was like, damn. I was like, okay. I'm like, okay, I remember this one. Like, it uh, it, it was, in a way, I mean, that's uh, Oklahoma childhood legend. Like, I don't really care who you are. If you were a kid in Oklahoma in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know at least one Toby Keith song, at least a verse of one. Man, and, you know, Tom, I'll say this. I, I was telling a, a co-worker of mine the other day that the Red River shootout, I think having Toby on the sidelines and, you know, Jim Ross and all that, and, and then Matthew McConaughey on the other side, like, that only added to the pageantry and everything. Like, I, I know that Toby Keith has no effect whatsoever on the outcome of these games, but his presence and his enthusiasm, I, I, I thought it was it, it was better. Like, it, it, it was good for OU, and it, it made for uh, – more of a an experience, like more of an event of some sorts that Toby Keith's there. I mean, yeah, he was he was like uh what what is Texas calls Matthew McConaughey their minister of culture, I believe. Yes. Uh I mean those OU teams in the early two thousands, uh just the you know, the patriotism stuff. I, I can get behind some of the patriotism stuff. I mean not get too political about him, but uh just that time just in America, just in general, and just being in Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, I mean, Toby Keith was just uh, like a figurehead on the sideline at, at those uh, those Red River games. Right. Those were the days. Those were the days. Uh, we're getting old. Yeah. Yeah. Now we need to get Garth out to some OSU games. I don't know why they don't. Me and, and friend of the show, Billy Locke, we talk about this all the time. Like, bring them, bring everybody back in. Like, is Garth they like should a have football fan or something? They're, I mean, they're getting back to the where they're bringing people back, uh, like old athletes and just fans and different things like that. They're getting to that. Like, they just started the Ring of Honor stuff kind of in the last couple of years, but. They don't bring in people like they should. I don't feel like. I wonder I mean, if Garth just doesn't like football or something. No, I mean I think he does. I mean, he. I mean, I'm trying to think what years he was at OSU. I think he was there. Maybe when Barry was there. I'm pretty sure. He and Bill Self were friends back in the day. Garth is like probably mid 50s. I think. Maybe sixty. Yeah, Garth. Garth went to school with Bill Self, and that like they were like roommates way back when. That's pretty crazy to think about. Okay, he's um. I guess I'm trying to see. I think I guess we he was to... there in eighty in mid eighties, so he was there before, a little bit before Barry. I think we need a celebrity of some sorts for every school at every game. Like OU, you had Toby. Texas, McConaughey, let's get Garth at OSU games. I mean, you know, you watch a Kansas game, and half the time you see Rob Riggle there. Um, mm, or Sudeikis. He's, he doesn't come around as often. Uh, but you get, like, Eric Stone Street for Kansas State games. Like, I, yeah, I, He's I, always there. I think it only adds to it. Yeah, 
I mean, I think I think in draft season when and it's coming up. Unfortunately, we're running out. It's well, it'll be here before you know it when it's draft season on the on the Jones report. Bookmark that. We're gonna have to do like top celebrities that are like sports fans that are like. I mean, you could even like the draft. Lakers. Like the Lakers have so many, like Jack Nicholson. The Knicks have Spike Lee. I mean, the USC Pete Carroll days, part of the allure was they were LA's team, Will Ferrell's there, Snoop Dogg. Like they, they had an entourage. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was. Yeah. I mean, it was that was that was Hollywood, baby. I mean, we're starting to kind of see that brought back with Dion at Colorado now with all the people he's bringing. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, you know, and you obviously see it more in the pro sports and stuff too, but I think, you know, some of these, I mean, hell, like, hell, have Houston, University of Houston bring in, like, Chameleonaire or something. I don't know. Have them bring in, I don't know, fucking Mike Jones. Mike Jones. Uh, Megan, Megan the Stallions Ooh. from Houston. Ooh. Yeah, right. Who? Mike Jones? Like, I'm trying to think, like, who else other, you know? Um, I mean, I, mean, well, I know TCU, we, I don't know. I mean, TCU, probably not that many, but, you know, Fort Worth. We've gone this probably, long without talking about Taylor Swift and uh, the Chiefs, but, you know, she generated $300 million for the NFL this year. So, right. Now, you might not get that if you're, uh, you know, college bringing in someone for your program or whatever, but I, I just think you're absolutely right, Jones. I didn't even plan on this, wasn't on my bingo card for today to even think about this, but just how much money, like, colleges don't do enough to bring, now some of them do, but bring people who are like, with it i mean like hell the eagles could bring like philadelphia eagles could bring in zach bryan because he's such a fan if i blew up and became famous like i would be at every spurs game i would be a mascot it well, would be literally zach bryan got when zach bryan got arrested he was driving from tulsa to boston for an eagles game right like i mean i think the eagles should be like hell yeah man like Zach Bryan right now is just not as just as big as Taylor Swift, but he's pretty big right now. Oh, he's why aren't the Eagles not getting him and Brianna Chicken Fry in there? I think I I don't know if Philly would react the same way. And the game was in Boston too. Yeah, they would probably boo Zach Bryan honestly in Philly. Like what? Why is Zach Bryan driving? Why is Zach Bryan driving from Tulsa to Boston? Like he can afford a plane ride. I mean, yeah, maybe he didn't want to be the Taylor Swift to. You know, clog okay. up the. Let's get let's get Shaq at some LSU games. Uh, Real, I mean, yeah, I don't know how that. I know, he... I know Charles Barkley goes to a lot of Auburn games. I mean, yeah, like if you think about that, just like Steph Curry not really going back to Davidson probably that much, right? Uh, I don't know what the feeling is. JJ Redick and Duke. Why does he not? I don't know if they do anything. Is MJ back in Raleigh very often? No, probably not. Or not Raleigh, Chapel Hill. My 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 bad. Uh, big mistake on my part. I uh, bet back in. I bet right after he retired. I bet he was showing up. Yeah. Uh. Anyhow, speaking of the uh, Super Bowl, Tom, right. I gotta know before we break down this matchup. Because we have plenty of time to talk about the matchup itself. Um, what is what is on the menu? What what are you planning to 
cook up. I, I heard you uh, you took a, a stab, shout out OJ, at the uh, Bill Self mac and cheese. Is, is that making an appearance? No, no, that was, and, and honestly, one of the reasons that it's not, it was good when I made it. Um, the presentation was not there uh, because I had presented, presented myself with a few too many drinks while I was making it, but it was still delicious. Um, be honest, I'm telling you, when you get to your 30s, Jones, your body doesn't agree with certain things anymore. And one thing, two things really that my body does not agree with anymore ice cream and fried foods mm. every time i eat fried foods they jack me up i'll do it every now and then but anything deep fried no nah, it's not gonna it's not gonna set well with me so that is that very rare, rarely i just thought about it and that's why i made it and i was like man i was actually watching osu ku when i thought man i should make the bill self mac and cheese here soon um but it was delicious. But on the I guess menu, you got to do Andy Reed Mac for this Sunday. Yeah, I thought about that. I mean, I did make it that one time. That was delicious. That was an expensive ass mac and cheese. Yeah, uh, that that man does not play around with his cheeses. Uh, that mac and cheese cost me like forty five, fifty bucks to make. Um, I don't skip on the ingredients either. But so I'm, I mean, I'm not buying an eighteen dollar block of Gruyere to throwing a mac and cheese with five other cheeses like i'm not spending seven eight dollars on a small block of fontina cheese like still mac and it cheese. was it was good it was solid you had it oh yeah it was it's it's uh it's damn good i think one of my staples that i've been making here over the years for super bowls one of my favorite things uh jalapeno poppers not deep fried okay though they would be good that way too but you know, carving out the jalapenos, stuffing them with cream cheese and cheese, bacon wrapping them, popping them in the oven. Now you gotta you gotta get you gotta do it right though, because if you don't, then the grease from the bacon it just makes them all soaky, like all greasy. So I've figured out a way that I'm I'm better off doing it now. You gotta have a grate under there to catch the grease and not let it all sit in there with them. But um I thought about making, if not jalapeno poppers, maybe like some buffalo chicken, uh, like rotisserie style chicken, buffalo chicken dip. Um, I'll do a dip of some sort, whether it be queso or something like that. It'll be probably just me. So very personal sizes of these portions. So you got uh, eat all week. Yeah, I could do that. I mean, I don't know about a main course. I thought, you know, it'd be, I haven't done in a while either. Uh, and you could, there's, that, you know what's great? The best thing about Instagram and still why I have it, the cooking reels on there. And I've already scrolled through some of them for like, check out this for the Super Bowl, all that cool stuff. Uh, people are so creative. But uh, a lot of people have been making, I've seen like uh, like sliders, like burgers, mini burgers. Okay. And so I might do so, I might, been, might do something like that. Or uh, – now, since I'm in San Antonio, I might just go get some Al Pastor from uh, the old Mexican store down the street and oh, do yeah. that. Those pastor tacos, you know, yeah, the good preacher there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my favorite preacher. So usually, Tom, when my team is in the Super Bowl, I am anti-Super Bowl party. But uh, based on where I was invited, 
I couldn't say no. So I am going to a Super Bowl party uh, this Sunday. And like we're all asked to bring something. And so here's what I said, Tom. I said, I will bring the champagne. And either we're popping bottles and celebrating and having a great night accordingly, or we're drowning our sorrows away. One of the two. Win or lose, we booze. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, I, you know, you haven't been partying that much uh, over the past years. The Super Bowl parties, obviously, just because, uh, because your Chiefs have been in it so many times, um, which is which is nice. I mean, I guess uh, I'm trying to think. What you were you were at the Super Bowl? You couldn't. I don't. You could. You know, one solo, two's a couple, three's a company. You got to have more than three people to call it a party. And it was just what me, you, and Billy for the Rams. Uh, so for the Rams Super Bowl. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking back here. And so last year, uh, I this, this is what I did. Like, I, I stayed at home for the first three quarters. And then I went to the Chiefs bar when they started to make the comeback in the fourth quarter. And I said, I got to be around other people for this. Yeah. I don't blame you for that. I, I would have had to I can't celebrate by myself. Like if they were, if they would not have made the comeback, then I'm like, all right, I can, I can, you know, just be at home and drown my sorrows by myself. But once it was obvious, they were making the turnaround. I'm like, I got to experience this with other humans. Yeah. And then I guess the previous times you were in Lawrence or Kansas city. Yeah. And come to think of it, like, I think I actually did go to, like, I had I had some people over when I was in Omaha, like, two people, wasn't a big deal, uh, when they beat, when they lost, when they beat, when they lost the Bucks, And then the Super Bowl, when they uh, won the first time and beat the Niners, uh, friend of the show, Derek Haglin, he, uh, he invited me over to a couple friends' house, and we went to a Super Bowl party that night. So, okay, may- maybe... Maybe I do enjoy Super Bowl parties more than I let on. But <laughs> the point still remains, still stands. Um, it's not my favorite thing to do because here, here's the other part about Super Bowl parties, Tom, that's a pain in the ass, is you get the people there that aren't there for the game or don't really know much what's going on. They want you to explain it to them. And like, and it's this- like, hey, shut the hell up. Shut the hell up. My team is one win away from winning the championship. Like, I'm not here to ed- educate you on who Brock Purdy is. Yeah, like, yeah, don't talk to me right now. That's, you know, like, that's it's funny you say that when the Spurs, obviously, they're not so hot right now. They'll they'll come back to glory. But when, uh, you know, when they were winning championships or even in the playoffs, I would be watching, you know, even growing up, e- even all the way down to the – 2005 championship for the Spurs I was at a church camp and uh they were doing some I don't know worship shit and I was like no <laughs> god can, god god can wait the Spurs are in game 7 versus the Pistons and so me and another person went and listened to Ginobili drop 22 and beat the Pistons in game 7 for 2005 Spurs championship on a little radio out in Choteau Oklahoma I'm surprised you still went to that camp. You didn't just say, Mom and Dad, I, I'm not going to camp. I got to watch game seven of the finals. Well, I think when I went, I don't know. I mean, I I remember watching, like, other games of that. I think 
I think when that church camp thing was happening, like they had, ju- I had watched game six and I was like already obviously going to go to the church camp. And I was like, dang, like I'm going to have to figure out a way, but I knew what time it started. And, uh, obviously I didn't have a phone then, or, you know, it's not like you could pull up stream East like you can <laughs> now, you know, I couldn't pull up the TV app and just, TV app put is it on the phone. uh, that was, you know, that was 20 years ago. Um, but, even 2014, I don't blame you. Um, some people say they don't like, you know, we're not, if it's my team, like, I don't want anybody talking to me. I'll lock myself in a room. That's, people laugh. I'm like, that's a stupid amount of fandom. And I'm like, you don't know how much emotionally I've put into this team. Right. Like the 2013 championship, I remember I was uh, at my childhood home. I shut my door and I was like, don't talk, don't anybody fucking talk to me the whole night. I said, I don't don't even knock on the door. I'm fine. I'm in here drowning my sorrows. After Ray Lewis hit it, I was like, I know, I know they're not going to win Game Seven now. And then when they won 2014, I cried in my room. Um, and it was one of the best sports memories I've ever had. Right, right, Ray Allen. Uh, you, you don't even want to call him uh, by his real name. He's Ray Lewis, you know, in that moment. Uh, oh yeah, because he killed my hopes and put me in a dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> like, but no, I I, I get know, the serious sports fandom, but Super Bowl Super Bowl parties are fun. If somebody asked me like about Brock Purdy or something on, on Sunday night, what I will tell them is I'll say, "Hey, I'm trying to watch the game. Go look up Lee Harvey Oswald." Oh God, yeah, right. Uh, the I resemblance mean, yeah, is he's... uncanny. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean. I'm... I'm. I'm. I would be interested. They should. They should make him take instead of like a drug screening. You know, like a performance enhancing drugs. Just make him take a twenty three and me and see if there's like uh, see if there's DNA resemble. Like if see if they're related. Well, and we talk about like six degrees. Uh, you know, to Kevin Bacon. I guess on this, you think about it. Ted Cruz's dad was hanging around Oswald shortly before that happened. And, and yeah, and Ted Cruz is is the uh, and now you got Zodiac, right? And now you got Brock Purdy looking like Lee Harvey Oswald here. Like, is there a connection here? Is it is it Purdy to Ted Cruz to Lee Harvey Oswald? Like, what's the what's the six degrees here? Yeah, I'm trying to think because then I think about it too. I don't know if Lee Harvey has any kids. He was 24 when he died. Well, and then you got Ted Cruz looking like Grayson Allen. So is Grayson Allen connected to this? Yeah, I think there there might be there might be some funny business going on. I, I don't know. I I wonder if you I'm know trying me. to think how I that like, would work. I like Brock Purdy, not this week though. But I got to say, I got a kick out of how uncomfortable he was when he was asked about looking like Lee Harvey Oswald. And whatever the journalist was, I don't know who it was that asked him about it, that was willing to ask that question. I know they're being kind of ripped to shreds uh, by people on social media. That guy deserves a raise. That took some courage. That took some guts to ask him, how does he feel about looking like Lee Harvey Oswald? You may, you could have said it took some brains. but golly um i mean it's gonna take a lee harvey oswald-esque performance to beat the chiefs he shot his shot 
And folks, we can joke about this because Lee Harvey Oswald actually didn't kill GF JFK. We know the CIA did. There you go. Um, Bullets don't curve. Another that's a whole nother topic. What's um maybe go back? Who was the guy that killed Lincoln? Last name Booth, maybe. Oh, uh, uh, yes. trying to think. John Wilkes Booth. John Wilkes Booth. Yes. I feel like someone said something about John Wilkes Booth that he was actually related to somebody uh, that's that's famous. Uh, and if you look at John Wilkes Booth, I'm looking at him right now. He's kind of got that uh, that grungy mustache, Matthew McConaughey look about him. It must be some people from Texas that just look like the serial killers and assassins. Where's Grayson Allen from? He played at Duke. Where's he from? I don't know where he's from. There, there must be a. Uh, there must be a something in the water in Texas, I guess, that just makes all the serial killers and uh, murderers come from here. Grayson Allen uh, is uh, is from Jacksonville. Mm. He would be from Jacksonville. He, yes, yes, Jamie. Thanks for looking that up. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, I started trying to find out. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think the question's valid. I I when people. When the people are like, come for the media, like you, why would you ask a stupid question like that? And it's like, dude, this is supposed to be a fun week. Like it's Super Bowl media week. It's sports. Like, you should it's be not that serious. You, yeah, you should be able to. Ask, this isn't. This isn't like, uh, you know, like a, a, a press conference after like. You know, it was it shouldn't be like it would be like if a school big school shooting happened and and someone you know, went and asked the cop, you know, was the, the killer kind of looked like, uh, you know, the killer kind of looked like some other mass shooter, or some other, you know, infamous killer in the past. Like, does that have any resemblance? You think <laughs> that would be, uh, that would be uncalled for. <laughs> this is Super Bowl media week. You should be able to joke around, have fun. It's a Super Bowl um, media week where, these guys are talking on the microphone every single day, and eventually you run out of stuff to talk about. Yeah, you're asking after two days, it's the same questions. You know, you can only you can wear out the Mister Irrelevant as many times as you want. Uh, we we want to know. Some, we deserve some new content. The people want to know how does Brock Purdy feel about people comparing him to Lee Harvey Oswald. That's the question we all want to. know. I mean, like I loved it that somebody said. Uh, hey, Patrick Mahomes, can you do your uh, best Kermit the Frog impression? And he said, uh, I do that every time I talk. Oh, is that what he said? Yes. yes. Oh, see, at least he's a good sport about it. Better than Brock Purdy. That tells me that Mahomes is more ready for this moment than Brock Purdy is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, and, you know, Mahomes has been there. I mean, Obviously, you saw how many people were up on Travis Kelsey with the Taylor Swift questions. Yeah. No one, no one bitched about that. We we can talk about Taylor Swift again and again, but we can't ask a man how he feels about being compared to an, an infamous killer. Like, right? You know, I mean, people were up in arms about Kadarius Tony saying that 
when he gets the football, he's the best receiver in the league. And I'm like, I don't give a shit enough about Kadarius Tony to even care. Right. We want the hard hitting facts. We need, we need what Brock Purdy feels about being compared to Oswald. And we need, we need to, I'm trying to think of another funny that would be, um, you know, even, I mean, I feel like they all kind of take it in stride, you know, I wonder, I wonder if him, I, I, I guarantee Brock Purdy had to see his picture get compared to him because he, he didn't look like he was, uh, you know, completely, you know, baffled by the question. He kind of had that face where it looked like he knew someone already told him someone's comparing him to somebody at some point in his life has brought this up. I don't know how it didn't get brought up in Brocktober <laughs> days at Iowa State. Right. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Um, I, I, I'm I'm ready for this game, Tom. You and I, we both picked the Chiefs already to win this. Um, here here's how I think this game's going to play out. I think the Chiefs get off to a good start, and the Niners are just playing catch up the entire time and can't close the door. I, I think, Tom, we we see a type of game where the Chiefs lead this game for every second. It's close, and the Niners have a chance, but the Chiefs are in complete control. That's the type of game I think we're we're, we're going to see on Sunday. How do you see this game playing out? Yeah, I can see it playing out like that. I, I think, I think, for what it's worth, I think the Chiefs will have like a like you said, kind of a they'll manage it in a way that the 49ers won't want them to. And the door, there'll still be the door will still be cracked open. I think until like maybe, you know, five six minutes to play, uh, kind of where it feels like they they can't you know can't get back in it. Um, but I, I think it'll be it'll feel like it'll feel like San Francisco has a shot to come back and do it, and I don't think they'll do. I don't think they'll be able to. I think there's there's two things that have to happen for the Niners to have a chance in this game. One of those is Christian McCaffrey has got to go off and be the best player on the field, and that includes being better than Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And it could happen. That's possible. the The, the other thing is that they're going to have to force Patrick Mahomes into mistakes. And we see Mahomes play his very best most of the time on the biggest stages. Um, if they can force him into mistakes, you know, not having, you know, Joe, Joe Tooney uh, on the offensive line, if they can really get after him, force pressure, then they could have a chance. But those would be the two things that I, I think has to happen for San Fran to get this done. And, McCaffrey, I I think it starts right there. McCaffrey's got to be the best player on the field for them to have a chance, Tom. Yeah, I think so, and and I think he can be, like you said. Also, think it's going to come down at, in old Brock Purdy's going to have to play a flawless game. Uh, I I I think for them to stay in it, I I think the Chiefs' defense has really stepped up. I mean, look at where the Chiefs. We thought the Chiefs' defense was maybe the first time the Super Bowl was played. Yeah. Uh, I feel like this defense is a lot better than now. I mean, 49ers are a completely different team as well. Um, but the Chiefs defense for me, I think what Spags has been able to do and it's kind of had up and ups and downs, but 
I think what he's been able to do and kind of what they were able to hold the Ravens to, I thought was very impressive. And I think I think they're going to be able to uh, do it against Brock Purdy. I mean, if you I mean look at what the Ravens had. They had you know they didn't have Christian McCaffrey, but you take that and you put the Lamar aspect and being able to run all over the field, and then you you know you have decent wide receivers. Nothing nothing crazy. I mean, I think the the offense there could be comparable. I mean. The Ravens were a great offense, and the 49ers can be a great offense too. I think, I think this comes down, you know. Oddly enough, I think the Chiefs will win, and I think the defense will be a factor that's not going to be talked about enough. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, more to come here on the uh, Jones Report. Uh, we'll get to our Big Twelve breakdown uh, later on. Tom Fullery, all that and more. So stick around for that. Coach Bo is going to be here with more analysis on uh, this Super Bowl matchup, so uh, stay tuned for that. The Big 12 Breakdown this week, Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges here with you. We begin each and every week with our uh, hot takes across the Big 12 with uh, football and basketball uh, being at the heart of this. And Tom, uh, I I know you usually start off with the hot takes, but I I got one for you that uh, I think we – we just have to bring up with this being the Big 12 breakdown this week. We got two former Big 12 quarterbacks in the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy. And of the future Big 12, too, a Texas Tech quarterback and an Iowa State quarterback involved, uh, not somebody from Oklahoma or Texas. And in and, and my hot take, um, this is the second straight year we've had an all Big 12 quarterback Super Bowl. And I think it's now been four of the last five years a Big 12 quarterback has played in the Super Bowl. Tom, I'll tell you this right now, my hot take, this will not be the last of all Big 12 quarterback Super Bowls uh, in the future. Part of it does have to do with Patrick Mahomes. That certainly helps. But you look at the talent this league is producing with with you know Jalen Hurts there last year, Brock Purdy this year, and and you know se- several other, you know, high quality quarterbacks we've seen across the board. I think this trend is only going to continue uh, for the next couple of years. And, and we're, we're going to see it continue. Patrick Mahomes, a big part of that. Sure. But that that's my hot take that uh, as big of a deal, this is for the big 12, this won't be the last of it. You, you'll see more of these, uh, these all big 12 quarterback uh, battles in the Super Bowl for years to come, Tom. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I think one of your key parts, obviously, you said it being Patrick Mahomes, but I think that the talent level that you're right that, you know, the Big 12 does put out, I think it's, I don't think it's talked about enough. You know, I think, I think the, the other conferences kind of, you know, the Big 12 always shouts at you, it's big, you know, two quarterbacks in the NFL from the Big 12 and the other conferences are like, yeah, nobody, they try to play it off like, yeah, nobody cares. If they were both from SEC schools, they would be like, oh, just means more. Uh, you know, they would – any other conference that would have – that could say that would be touting it up just as much as the Big 12 is now. Right. Um, I mean, you look at it just in this past playoffs alone. Um, you had Jalen Hurts. You had Baker Mayfield. Um you know, in the past, we've seen, you know, Geno Smith and Kyler Murray. Uh, you know, Skylar Thompson got to start a playoff game last year, for crying out loud. Um, and, and there's going to be more to come 
in the future. You know, I, I, I think this won't be the last that we, we talk about this. I mean, um, you know, some of the, the other names, you know, Mason Rudolph got some decent playing time this year. You know, Ryan Tannehill, uh, was a big 12 quarterback with the Titans for a long time. Um, you know, just the list kind of goes on and on. And I think what we've seen, Tom, is that the game, you know, we heard for years that big 12 quarterbacks were, you know, just not the right fit for the NFL. That's too much shotgun. It's not advanced enough in the NFL system. And what actually ended up happening was that the Big 12 was ahead of its time. And the NFL is now catching up to the Big 12 style of offense is where we've seen guys like Mahomes and Baker and Jalen and Kyler and Mason Rudolph and all these others, Tom, were actually more prepared and better ready to go in the NFL from their experience of playing the Big 12 compared to the quarterbacks before them that were criticized for where they came from. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I think, I think from what we've seen, I mean, you know, it feels like the spotlight is is maybe not on them. Like maybe some of these other quarterbacks, like you know, come you know, especially coming out or like the last, like Burrow, obviously was great. You know, Justin Herbert with Oregon, and now that the Big Twelve doesn't have a, you know, a blue blood type program anymore. Um, you know, I think some of these quarterbacks that end up playing in the big 12, I think they'll continue not to get the spotlight shown on them. But I, I think at the same time, there doesn't, doesn't mean they're any, any worse or not as good as these other, you know, these other primetime type quarterbacks that are getting the limelight at these blue bloods. Right. And I think we'll continue seeing schools like, look, Iowa state had Brock Purdy, Texas tech had Mahomes. I mean, there's some other odd schools that have great, you know, quarterbacks that are just weird that aren't blue bloods. Like, okay, Josh Allen, Wyoming, weird. Uh, Jared Goff, Cal, like, who the hell, who's, you know, something crazy like that. We'll continue having those type quarterbacks. I mean, uh, Carson Wentz, North Dakota State, like, you know, I, I think you're going to see more of those quarterbacks come from this new look Big 12. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, just – even even thinking about the quarterbacks that are, are waiting for their names to be called in, in the future here, you know, like, you know, I, I think Jalen Daniels at Kansas is going to play in the NFL someday. You know, there's going to be attention on Avery Johnson at Kansas State. You know, he's just getting his career started um, about his potential, you know, outlook in the pros. And, um, you know, I mean, it'll, it'll continue to, to grow from here. You'll see that. So, uh, that, that's my hot take this week, Tom, what's, uh, what's your hot take uh, for this week? Jones, I'm going to go the football route too, uh, this week, but, and I've read a couple articles about, you know, them maybe doing this. And I think last week we kind of talked about, uh, big 12 rivalries kind of had me thinking too, um, we talked about, you know, how the committee probably sat down and they really kind of shit the bed on on the rivalry week thing. And I thought about it and, you know, even our friends at Heartland thought about it. They made a good point um, about this, too. What if what if, um, you know, the Big 12 and, and this is this would be a Brett Yormark move. I could totally see him doing this. 
Uh, what about screw week 14? Let's have like a, you know how the Big 12 will play like uh, like the SEC Big 12 showdown in yeah. basketball? Yeah. Something kind of like that. It's not, you know, it's it's slated for like a certain weekend. Take rivalry week, take it away from the last week of the season and make it another, like make it another week. Like maybe a little past the midpoint of the season and then make that the big 12 rivalry week. Don't lump them in with everybody else for the final week. I think I could see Brett Yormark doing that. And I think give it a couple of years and I think we'll see something. We'll, we'll see that rivalry week take form. I, I think Brett Yormark will draft something up and it'll be something like, you know, the first weekend in November is, is rivalry week. And it would be different. It would be – I saw them mention like UCF might play uh, Houston for the space game. And then you'd have your protecteds like, you know, Utah and BYU and, and Farmageddon. Uh, but have them on a on a week that is not week 14. Just, just say, you know, we're not going to jump in with everybody else. We're going to have our own, and it's going to be this week. I don't think it's a bad idea because, you know, you have so many other rivalries in college football going on that week. Um, and, and so I, I, I don't think it's a bad idea, but the problem though, Tom, is that there's only so many TV windows, um, and you're having to share those windows with other conferences. And so like, let's take example, um, I don't know, TCU, TCU, you know, their biggest rival is Baylor. Right. And like, let's say because you decide all those rivalry games and then all of a sudden, like there's not enough TV windows and that their game of the year gets stuck on even ESPN plus because all the other great games are going on that week or something as well. So that's where it gets a little complicated. If you lump all of the best games in theory of the year, the same week. Um, I mean, that- but what, wouldn't that apply to week 14 too, if you did it like that? Well, and that's part of the reason why they don't play a ton of these rivalry games on rivalry week. The the Big 12 is kind of – there's – what is it? I think for next year, they only have two rivalry games going on week 14 um, that they've kind of spread them out throughout the season to make sure these rivalry games get good TV windows and and TV times. Um, So, yeah, I mean – there's a compromise like you would like to see some type of rivalry week of some sorts i would think um but trying to make everybody happy with tv windows and all that is where it gets complicated and and the sad part is tom like this is the unfortunate part of now the sec and big 10 kind of taking over is that the big 12 they're not gonna be first fiddle like the TV networks are going to appease the Big Ten and the SEC first, and then the then the Big Twelve gets the the leftovers, the scraps at the end of the table. It's an unfortunate reality. So it's a nice idea in theory, but the execution is a little more difficult. Yeah, I can see that. I, I you know, and I think I think the Big Twelve will have to uh, be a little inventive. Uh, you know, going forward, you mentioned you know, Big Ten and SEC kind of running the, the gauntlet here in terms of TV times and playing first fiddle. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what the Big 12 ends up doing. I think 
your Mac's creative enough that I think he's going to cook up something. Uh, it, you know, it might not be a rivalry week on a different week or all lumped in together. Uh, I'm excited to see what he does to kind of combat the, you know, we're not, we're not playing last chair here. We're going to do it and we're going to keep, uh, making strides and, and it seems like he almost takes it personal sometimes, uh, like vouching and getting the big 12 where, where it's been. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, national signing day, uh, the, the real national signing day, but doesn't really mean much. Uh, because we got early signing day now and everybody signs back then. And for the first time in the history of 24-7 sports, the Big 12 did not have a single team that finished in the top 20 of the 2024 recruiting rankings. Uh, Those are based on high school rankings, by the way. Uh, You had some former foes that did finish in the top 20. Texas at 6, Oklahoma at 8. Nebraska at 18, Mizzou at 19, Texas A&M finished 22nd. Um, The Big 12 did very well in the portal, specifically Colorado, who had the number one portal class. Um, Tom, is this a big deal or not a big deal that the Big 12 as a whole did not do that great uh, when it comes to high school recruiting rankings, I think it's a, I think it's a big deal. Personally, it is a red flag because you you still have to, as much as we invest in the transfer portal and talk about it, you still got to build the core of your team around your high school recruits. And, and uh, to me, that's not a good sign. Are, are you concerned about the Big Twelve not having a good showing uh, with uh, high school recruiting here? I mean, it is a little bit of cause for concern because it does seem correlated. Obviously with the big 12 being looking a lot different and not having OU Texas. Um, it does look a little bit different. And I think as long as it's not a trend, I think this is going to be something that's going to, an eye is going to be kept on it, whether, you know, you can really control it all that much or not. But, um, I think it'd be interesting to see going on down the road a couple of years. If, if, you know, if, that could be the falling off for the Big 12 if it if it continues like that, or we'll see. You know how many how many of these Big 12 teams, these new members, can can be a player and step up and and get some of the other recruits. You know now that it's really the landscape of the Big 12 is national, right? Um, so so it's it's not like you know Cincinnati and and Arizona aren't really fighting for the same recruits like you know, TCU and Baylor might be in Texas. So and, and uh, here's another thing, Tom, like the red flag for me, like, you know, we, we all know TCU and Baylor, um, Kansas, Kansas state, they, they never get the top recruits, even Oklahoma state. They, they rarely finish in the top 25 in, in high school recruiting rankings. And, you know, that's that just something that we know and accept and, you know, something that they have to work around. The surprise for me is like, Utah, right? Utah, all that in a bag of chips, all this momentum. Utah can't pull in a top 20 recruiting class. Um, you know, some of the some of the new members, you know, I, I know in, in for Arizona, they just had a coaching change, so things can be kind of different. But, you know, Arizona State, you're there in Tempe. Colorado, as much as they for, focus on the portal, like, to me, it's not 
we we've known that the current Big 12 members don't do great when it comes to high school recruiting. It's eye popping to me the new members that didn't necessarily carry their weight of sorts. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, some of the new members like okay, like you know, Colorado is going to eventually be they're going to get the recruits. I mean, they're going to make they're going to have a class sooner or later that's going to be up there if Dion is still there and the hype is still remains, but I mean, you mentioned Utah. That's kind of surprising. Um, Utah, Arizona. Here's your number, Tom. Utah finished 60th nationally in high school recruiting. Who was the highest Big 12 team? Texas Tech at 24th. Wow. Texas Tech, 24th. They were one. TCU was second, 34th in the country. UCF, third at 35th. KU, fourth at 43rd. BYU 5th at 44th, West Virginia 6th at 47th, Arizona 7th at 49th, Cincinnati 8th at 50th, Iowa State 9th at 53rd, Oklahoma State 10th at 56th, uh, K-State 11th at 57th, Utah 12th at 60th, Houston 13th at 61st, Baylor 14th at 67th, Arizona 15th at 81st in Colorado 16th at 117th. That's kind of shocking. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are not the way, uh, you know, Oklahoma state doesn't really, you know, that doesn't, I think they're a little outlier because they've never been good at recruiting for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, Same with them and probably, state both them and K state both. I mean, but they still put good product on the field. So, that doesn't necessarily worry me. The Colorado was a bit shocking. Um, you know, Houston being up higher than Baylor, that's saying something. But, you know, I don't. I guess if, if, you're, a, if you're a Houston kid, you know, there's probably a lot more talent around Houston area than there is in Waco for all. But, but kind of Waco's kind of like a central point. So, that I mean, and the, just the coaching – uh, is is interesting, and we'll be very interested to see what they do with old Davy and Baylor. Because um, if if and Dave Aranda seems like he'd be like a likable coach, like you think Dave Aranda could be, pull in a, a better recruiting class than Houston, um, or do just a little bit better in general. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, like I said, it's I think I think high school recruiting is very like. You you can look at you you almost can't look at one year. You have to take like a sample size of years. You have to take like five six years and see how that gets developed and where you average out. Especially in the new landscape of college football, it's it's kind of like looking at a five year. You got to look at it like a five year stock, right? Um, not like a day to day up and down type thing. So it'd be interesting. That's a it's a good point. It'd be something to watch for and and you know see. I mean, it's another part of the college football landscape that it's it's another thing that's changed about it. It's a new yeah. – it's like adding a new ingredient or starting from over from scratch. Uh, last thing, let's talk uh, hoops here real quick. Uh, Tom, I'm as confused as ever on this league right now. Um, Kansas looked awesome on Saturday, and they did exactly what I told you all would happen. They beat Houston by double digits. 
dominated that game from start to finish at home. Houston started out slow, couldn't recover. And then, not even two days later, they lose in overtime at K-State. But that wasn't all the shenanigans that happened in this league over the weekend, okay? You had the controversial finish to that Baylor-Iowa State game um, on Saturday night that Baylor ended up squeaking out 70-68. to 68. They didn't count the buzzer beater for Iowa State. Um, and so Baylor wins. And then uh, it even gets a little more interesting after that. You had Baylor end up beating Texas Tech on Tuesday night. Oklahoma, in the night that they honored and recognized Toby Keith, uh, you know, put the guitar in his seat and had the red solo cup and all that. They dominate BYU after losing to UCF a couple days prior. And then Iowa State with a nice road win in Austin against Texas. Um, And Houston wins handily. They bounce back after that loss against Kansas to to beat Oklahoma State on Tuesday night, 79-63. So with all that said of what just unfolded, after you breathe for a second, the Big 12 standings now, Houston at 7-3. Baylor at six and three, Iowa State at six and three, Kansas at six and four. Um, it's a dogfight. I, I, I think we're we got about a four team race for the top of the Big Twelve standings, and any of those four teams would not surprise me if they end up winning the league at this point, Tom. No, it wouldn't surprise me either. And and you know, I again we say this. I found like a broken record. Uh, we say this every year. It gets into February, you know, it's, if it's decently close at that point, it's really kind of anybody's game. Uh, I mean, this is a league where everybody beats each other up. I mean, I there's mean, not going to be, and I think this for the foreseeable future, on uh, big 12 basketball, there's not going to be a clear cut. I think, I think this is the new, I hate that term. Fuck that buzzword. The new normal. I hate that, but that's what it is. This is the new normal. Um, well, vomit. I hate that term, but look it's, at like uh, Houston, for example. Houston is so glad Kansas lost on Monday because, I mean, it looks like Tom. You know the the way that Houston got beat down by Kansas, got ran out of the building. L.J. Cryer played really good for Houston, and, and folks may remember he was at Baylor just last year. Terrific player. Um, goes to Houston, and he's been great. And he played great, but didn't really have much help around him on Saturday. And then we see Kansas lose, and Houston's like, all right, we're right back where we were. It's it's like nothing even happened. I mean, like, that, that was the best break. That was the best thing that could have happened for Kansas to lose on Monday night because everyone all of a sudden goes from saying, wow, Houston wasn't ready for prime time to, oh, wow, this Kansas team's a bunch of frauds. They can't beat anybody on the road. Uh, and, and Houston now gets a chance to get back on track and and everything works out. I mean, this for, for taking the shellacking that they did, Houston looks A-OK now, Tom. I mean, yeah, that game pissed off Kelvin Sampson so much he had to go get himself thrown out of the game last night. Yeah, wasn't that hilarious? Yeah, I did. It was early. It's decently early. Yeah. Um, and they still went on to obviously, you know, Molly Wap, Oklahoma State. But he, he that, if that's a game you're going to get thrown out, then he said something to the effect of it's 
it's a $25,000 fine if I tell the truth. Right. I mean, you know, if that was the case, if that was like a, if they were like a superpower, like a Duke or UNC or KU, I think fans would be riled up and be like, all right, tell it, we'll crowdfund it. Right. Well, you know, uh, Baylor's AD, Mac Rhodes, got fined twenty five grand uh, for saying that the officiating on Saturday in that Baylor-Iowa State game was an embarrassment for the conference. I mean, it's it, – I will say that – And, and Scott saw, Drew got, eju- got ejected in that game too. And I he had never been it's, ejected it's, his entire 21-year coaching career. That's pretty awesome. I, I'd say – I think – I don't think the I don't think the officiating was the best. I I would have to somewhat agree. I don't think it's I don't think it was just embarrassing for the league by any means, but I don't I think I you know the officiating can always be better, right? Yeah. If if I were to predict right now, Tom, um I think we're going to get a split Big 12 title between Kansas and Houston. Uh, I know KU isn't playing great, but they've shown me enough, and we know of the talent. It's still Bill Self and everything. They'll put it together. That Houston team, they took their lump. They took their L on Saturday. But LJ Cryer is phenomenal. Kelvin Sampson's a great coach. Um, they've got a little nice home court advantage where they're at, too. I, I, I think that's what we're looking If If I were to guess right now, um at the beginning of february i think that's how this all shakes out is a split title between houston and kansas i think if i was a betting man i i would put money down on that i think that's a pretty safe bet uh and you know that or i i would say to to be different i think that ku loss against k-state and in the way that that Houston obviously bounced. I mean, I can't really call it a bounce back against Oklahoma State, but um, just in general, I have to look at the, the schedule. Really, I don't want to call. It, I don't want to make another hot take, but I would say right now, if I had to be different from what you were going to say, I'd say Houston wins it outright, but barely. Ooh. But that's that's just being different from your take. I would have to agree with you. You got Baylor KU this Saturday. That's going to be a good one. Five o'clock start on Saturday in Lawrence. Um, KU going to have to do it again. And Baylor, Baylor's coming along. Uh, Baylor's playing some really good basketball, even if they are getting a little lucky uh, and everything. But those guards that Baylor's got, like Scott Drew, when when he's got good guard play, I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. And Walter's playing well uh Dennis Love you know I mean just a three-headed monster you know what they have in their guard spot and that that's going to be tough to defend that's not a good matchup for Kansas this weekend if I'm going to be frank um oh then then you got to turn around on Monday and go to Lubbock Oof. right big Monday that's, again. that's not I mean that's brutal is Kansas on big Monday like every week this year I mean it feels like it um right i mean i think okay so in a couple not this upcoming monday but the next monday you got iowa state at houston that will be a good one houston i feel like has it kind of easy in the next what week they play houston's got or at cincinnati this saturday okay and then you look at the rest of it and then houston doesn't play for a whole week and then they've got texas um on saturday the 17th 
yeah, uh, at home, and then turn around and play Iowa State at home, like in Houston on Big Monday. To you know, not this Monday, but the next. So this week's slate, um, you know, this Saturday, you got Bedlam, uh, OSU's last trip to Norman for now. Uh, they haven't scheduled. It's expected that they're going to play next year, but they haven't signed a contract yet um for basketball and olympic sports uh that game gonna be saturday night in norman OU should win but i think osu is gonna put up a fight um iowa state tcu should be a very good game texas should beat west virginia but this texas team's kind of hard to figure out uh rodney terry's not doing a great job i can tell you that much it's been a disappointing year max Smith's starting to come together though and, and we told you I, he was I thought he'd be a first-team all-conference player. Started a little slow. Now he's starting to come in his own, averaging close to 18 points a game. That could be a difference for Texas as they go down the stretch. Um, Houston should be fine on the road at Cincinnati, uh, although Houston, I think, is going to make – it should be a good game, but Houston should win. Texas Tech and UCF. Texas Tech should be fine, but UCF has given some teams some problems this year, mostly at home, though. That game's in Lubbock. Baylor and Kansas, great game. I lean towards Kansas, but Baylor's guard play scares me. And then uh, BYU K-State on Saturday in the nightcap. Uh, get a little Big 12 after dark action. That game doesn't start till 9 o'clock on Saturday uh, on Espen 2. And BYU, top 25 team, played some really good ball. They're coming off the loss against OU. K-State riding the momentum of that win against Kansas on Monday night. Um, Tom, I, I don't think that game's a good spot for K-State. I, I think going to the West Coast, um, coming off that win, BYU trying to make a response after losing to OU the way they did. Uh, I, I feel really good about BYU's chances on Saturday against K-State there. I mean, yeah, kind of like a hangover game. I mean, that's essentially kind of what it was for KU, K-State, you know, and then – you know, that's after K-State got what? Or that's after K-State did that. Or I'm trying to think of how the timeline went. K-State had lost to Oklahoma State by like three. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it could yeah. be it can be any given day. Jones, looking ahead, talking about who's going to win the Big 12. Is this – I mean, this is scripted out almost perfect. You could just say winner gets a one seed. Um, A month from – what is today? The recorded – the month from Friday – um, you've got KU at Houston final, final regular season day. Uh, I mean, you couldn't set it up any better than that. Yeah. And that uh, game could very well be for the big 12 champion, you know, for the regular season championship. So I've, I've looked at tickets for that game and they're already over 200 bucks. It is, uh, Jesus. Houston doesn't have that big of a field house, do they? I think it seats about twelve or thirteen thousand. Yeah, okay, not bad. But it's Kansas's first trip, Big Twelve title possibly on the line. You know, it's it's a big deal for them. So, uh, more to come. Bo is going to be here in a bit. Top four as well. Stick around right here on the Jones Report. Join us now, the Jones Report this week. Looking ahead to Super Bowl Fifty Eight this weekend. It is Jay Binkley. 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City does an incredible job covering the Kansas City Chiefs and the uh, sports scene there in KC, and he joins us right now. Bink, 
Uh, always a pleasure. Been a long time since we got the chance to uh, chat, my friend. But uh, hope you're doing well. And I know things are, are certainly exciting in your neck of the woods here with uh, the countdown of the Super Bowl on here in the coming days. No, they really are. I mean, I've been, you know, doing a, a draft uh, show every every week since last February. And, you know, you keep pushing it off and pushing it off. Team keeps winning. Team keeps winning. It's kind of nice because then the you know, draft position goes from like 25th to 31st to 32nd. And it's exciting, especially exciting watching a lot of the college players um, just to kind of find out uh, who could be in the Chiefs uh, range. So I had a lot of fun with that. But, uh, yeah, the Chiefs uh, – the Chiefs keep going and making it more fun, to be honest with you. Yeah, and, you know, it doesn't seem like that long ago, Bank, when when, when you and I were around and saw when days were not like this, when we weren't yeah. used to seeing this team going to Super Bowls and just hoping to make the postseason. And, you know, then everything changed when Patrick Mahomes came to town. And, and now this is the expectation. Is there a feeling of sorts of kind of numb about it, like – What's kind of the the feel where you're at? Like, are, are people now kind of just used to this type of thing of being a Super Bowl team every year? Yeah, I think they get used to it. You know, the uh, when the crowd out there on opening night was uh, definitely pro 49ers crowd. There's a lot of Raiders fans that made it in there. And you got to wonder with Chiefs fans. I mean, you know, people do have the money to go to the game, I guess some, but to go every year, <laughs> for the last five years, you know, $10,000 to get in. So, do, do people spread it out? Do people go see the, the Chiefs and Eagles last year thinking, okay, this might be our last hurrah to see Kelsey in the Super Bowl. And then all of a sudden they're in it again this year and they decide, because I guarantee they didn't pre-plan it. The way this team was playing earlier this year, it probably a lot of last-minute people uh, getting Super Bowl tickets and arrangements to go. But, yeah, I mean, when you keep going all the time, you sit there and wonder, is this going to be my last opportunity? You don't want a Dan Marino situation where he just gets to one and not others. But the way this team has played, you know, I have no doubt in my mind. You didn't make it to Vegas. You can make it to New Orleans. You can make it back to L.A. You can make it down to L.A. You can make it anywhere because I think this team's not even close to being done uh, going to the Super Bowl. Was it going to be every year? Highly doubt it. Every, you know, two or three years, very, very possible that they could continue getting back uh, with Mahomes. But there he is. Um, and I remember Travis Kelsey after that 49ers defeat in the Super Bowl, or not 49ers, the Buccaneers defeat in the Super Bowl. He was asked if the season was a success or not, and he said no. And the year before, uh, Clark Hunt had put out the mission statement, all right, our goal is to win the Lamar Hunt Trophy, our goal is to win the, the whole thing, the Super Bowl, and they did. Um, that was an interesting comment he made, and I kind of feel like that's a little bit like the Patriots got to. They weren't just happy getting to the Super Bowl. They wanted to win it. Although this year's a little bit different because everybody kind of counted them out. And I think for this team to be in the Super Bowl, uh, it kind of shows their mental toughness that they were able to turn things around. So win or lose, I still would define this season a success. I wouldn't expect them to do that, but here I am thinking it'll be a success regardless of what happens. You know, it wasn't too long ago, Bink, when it felt like that the Chiefs had kind of hit rock bottom of the season. Christmas Day when they lost to the Raiders at home and Aiden O'Connell went through, what was it, eight passes in that game? I mean, just, just from where they were at then to where they are at now, what changed for this Chiefs team so quickly? I, I think just kind of understanding who and what they were, kind of whittling things down. And then you get those uh, stories that came out that the Chiefs were going to start, you know, breaking down the playbook a little bit, more concentrating on a couple of the guys. I always kind of like him this year, uh, to what you see in baseball. When you ask a manager – all right, who's your closer? They're going to know who their closer is probably. 
But if you ask them who their sixth inning guy, seventh inning guy, and eighth inning guy, and you ask them that question in March um, or April, they'll probably say, don't know yet. You know, wait till middle of May or the end of May or June uh, to find out. It took the Chiefs a while to find out that rotation, who wants to step up at wide receiver and who doesn't. And they were out physical in that Raiders game, and they became more physical. This defense has not lost its physicality. They've been the most physical defense um, in the NFL. Now, I know the Ravens were sitting out there. The Chiefs were actually better in total defense uh, than the Ravens. The Chiefs sit second, only behind Cleveland. So they were actually better in that and against the pass uh, than the Ravens. Uh, they're barely behind them in points per game, given up. Same with the same with the Niners. But I think they understood who they were. They're a running football team. You know, it would be physical. Get those yards. Um, yards after catch. Using Rasheed Rice like they use Sammy Watkins. Kind of define his role, who and what he is. And narrow it down where he gets the targets, right? Rasheed Rice gets the target. Travis Kelsey gets the targets. Yeah, you can throw one on it once in a while, the MBS or Justin Watson. You can throw to these guys, but make these guys your emphasis. And they did. They kind of put all their eggs in one basket. It's a lot like the Patriots that early on, you know, they, they were winning the Super Bowls with their defense. And it was Troy Brown. It was Deion Branch. It wasn't until Randy Moss and Wes Welker did that offense explode. They never won anything either. But they kind of knew who and what kind of team they were. And I really felt like really that Raiders game, they kind of – Completely, I say, we're not going to score 30 points a game. Not going to happen. We'll just dig in. We'll stop teams. The Chiefs are the only team in the NFL not to allow uh, 30 points being scored on them uh, this season. So just sit back, relax, and realize this is a different kind of team. It is not the same Chiefs team uh, that they've seen in the past. And I think they've accepted it now, finally. What do you think of the Niners in, in this matchup with San Francisco? How does Kansas City match up, you think, with with this team? I like the 49ers. I mean, it's, it's it's a solid football team. They're coming back uh, with a the lead. They're, they're pretty good at holding that. But, of course, we all saw the over 30 and over 31 went down by five or eight points, whatever it is, in the second half. And they've had to overcome that. Um, listen, they've had their they've had their ups and downs. Um, you know, I'll never forget last year. They had the number one defense in the NFL. They had just got Christian McCaffrey, who played against the Chiefs. The Chiefs went on the road, and they put up 529 yards and 44 points on the 49ers' number one defense. Um, this year, they had that three-game losing streak. Uh, and you wonder, okay, how dominant of a football team is it that loses three in a row? One of those being an XFL quarterback and P.J. Walker in Cleveland. Um, San Francisco had a chance to come down and win the game twice in Minnesota, and both times they threw an interception to Bynum down the stretch. So they hit the rough patches. But then they come back, and they're extremely, extremely talented uh, with their skill positions. I do believe their beat defense was better last year than this year. I think the Chiefs have the edge at quarterback, clearly. I think the Chiefs have the edge at, uh, at uh, coach. And I think they have the edge this year at defense, believe it or not. Um, it's just so – the tight end is kind of a wash between Kittle and Kelsey. But uh, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, um, Christian McCaffrey, you know, I, I definitely would give them – um, the edge in that situation, even though Isaiah Pacheco is playing out of his mind right now. Yeah, he, he's playing unreal for sure. He's he's been awesome uh, to say the least. Uh, you mentioned the the quarterback matchup here: Mahomes on one side and Brock Purdy on the other. And I know you're a big college football fan. I, I got to say, you know, following both these guys in the Big Twelve, played against each yeah. other in the Big Twelve, to be where you are now. We we had heard for so many years, Bink, about. You know, Big 12 quarterbacks, this can't translate yeah. all this. And here we are with, with these two in the Super Bowl. It's, it's been 
pretty remarkable, the, the Big 12 wave of sorts we've seen the last few years in, in this Super Bowl game. Yeah, I was just saying with Brock Purdy, you know, it's kind of unfathomable how he fell to the last pick in the draft. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. Whether they wanted a story on it on NFL Network later, ESPN. Like, how does a guy with that kind of talent slip all the way? A guy that leads his team uh, to the Super Bowl, the last pick in the draft. I mean, I understand the Puka Nakua. You know, he slipped to the Rams, and they passed on him multiple times. They got lucky with it. But essentially, Brock Purdy's just that dart throw. Just that complete dart throw. The last pick in the draft typically is. If people had any idea on quarterbacks, yet they yet they they keep throwing darts at quarterbacks. Here's Brock Purdy going to the Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, this story with Brock Purdy, and certainly fascinating to see what he's done. And easy to root for that guy to see uh, his success here in the National Football League uh, at this point. Uh, that tight end matchup you mentioned, you know, Kittle and, and Kelsey being. A wash of sorts, both of them so talented. Um, we we've seen at times, Bank, where uh where or Kelsey kind of embraces the challenge of sorts when he has a really good tight end on the other side, even if they're not in the field at the same time, where Travis steps up a bit. And we've seen him play so well in this playoff. You you think he's gonna kind of do that again, embrace the challenge of of trying to go toe-to-toe with Kittle here? You know, it's tough, and you think about it. I mean, he draws – he certainly draws more coverage uh, than George Kittle does in San Francisco because there's Debo Samuel to worry about. Now teams are worried about Rasheed Rice a little bit, but Brandon Ayuk, um, just, the, just the fact that he's doing all this and all that he did last year without Tyree Kill being public enemy number one is a tribute to him. George Kittle beating by, what, 36 yards this year uh, in totality. And, of course, he played one more game than Travis Kelsey did this year. Travis Kelsey actually missed two games this year, that first one and the last one. And the fact that if Kadarius Tony lines up on sides, you know, that's real close to being a wash. I mean, it, it cost him a thousand yard season because he didn't yeah. play the last, it was only 16 yards drive a thousand, but Kadarius Tony not being on sides cost uh, Travis Kelsey a chance at another, uh, what, eight straight years at a thousand yards. But, yeah, I mean, even Kelsey admits at this point it's George Kittle. George Kittle and Travis Kelsey are just a huge part of their team's offenses, and and George Kittle can be a devastating blocker as well. Um, very, very, very talented seeing these tight ends. Yeah, uh, a lot of rumblings about uh, Andy Reid's future. What's uh, your insights? What are you kind of hearing? Uh, is there any chance Andy hangs it up uh, after this game, win or lose? Not his, his age. He's 65 years old. He's still got more to tank. Clark Hunt even came on our station yesterday and said, listen, there's no truth to it. I talk to him every day. And he's never mentioned this. Brett Veach has mentioned that. He says, listen, I talk to Coach every single day. And not, not Clark Hunt didn't talk to him every day, but Andy Reid talks to Brett Veach every day. And he says he's never given him any inclination of retiring. We haven't even heard it. I mean, we've seen these stories about it, but everybody's been asked about it with the Chiefs um, quite a bit. Mahomes asked about it. Kelsey's asked about it. Randy Reed's even asked about it himself, but I don't think there's any truth to the rumors. And he kind of knows his place in history. He sits with 25 postseason victories. Bill Belichick, the only human ahead of him in postseason victories with 31. That's only six behind Bill Belichick for postseason wins. I mean, this could be done um, well, with the Super Bowl win, and you know, the next year would take five. Put it this way, it could be done in another two years. Yeah, very well could. And and you look at what's ahead, just I mean, the the camaraderie of Mahomes, Kelsey, and Andy. We we know that Kelsey's only got so much time left. I mean, I I would think if you're Andy, don't you want to kind of capitalize on the moment of, of these three that they have together of 
uh, of going out and getting another Super Bowl or two or three this while they can have this cohesion together of sorts? Yeah, it's not only that, but I think Bill Walsh in his book, he wrote a long time ago when he was coaching RIP Bill Walsh, but he would he would go to a restaurant with his wife and he'd, and he'd see a play that he liked and he'd write it on a napkin. And it reminds me of Andy Reid because Andy Reid, you know, they, Mahomes has said, hey, call me at 4 a.m. because he'll think of some play. So they're constantly that connection, that chemistry between head coach and quarterback, what everybody's striving for so big. And Andy Reid's got his guy. You know, Alex Smith wasn't his guy. I mean, Alex Smith was good for him, but Patrick Mahomes was the pelt on the wall for Andy Reid. He was going to be defined by what he did with Patrick Mahomes because people will argue all the time. Is it Dorsey that drafted uh, Patrick Mahomes or is it Brett Veach's influence? Because Brett Veach was in on him from the beginning and Andy Reid and all of them will admit to Brett Veach being this. But do we believe that? Or do we believe that Andy Reid was the guy that ultimately selected Patrick Mahomes? And I truly believe um, he was. I believe he talked to his assistants, talked to his staff, he got to meet the quarterbacks and he let him know because he was gonna he was gonna ha- hang up his career basically on on Patrick Mahomes. If he could work on him and he could be the the end all be all, it would be the pelt on the wall for Andy Reid, who's been known as the quarterback guy. Um so the um, he he selected Patrick Mahomes in my mind and he wants to work it out as long as possible. Not only that, but this draft's about to uh, turn towards his favor because they drafted defensive players seven out of ten two years ago, five out of seven last year. And this should be an offensive draft for the Kansas City Chiefs. So he's going to have some weapons uh, more at his disposal on offense. That's kind of been the thing he's lacking. As a creative play caller, he can only call plays. It's hard to call plays when you lead the league in drops. Like it is tough to build that chemistry and tough to beat that glue. Yes, they made it to the Super Bowl, but it's crazy. He's not even going to sniff coach of the year, not even one of the finalists. But to be good every year, and to win double-digit games is such a testament. He's won it one time back in 03. That's it. Kyle Shanahan's one of the finalists for Coach of the Year. They were good last year. They had expectations this year. Usually it's guys with no expectations, like the Detroit Lions, you know, go, go well, Dan Campbell did have expectations. That's typically what it is. You know, you go out like Kevin Stefanski, win a couple games, and you go back and win the, make the playoffs the following year. Nobody does it for, for guys staying at the top. You know, nobody did it. Um, what are the Rams at? Since Sean McVay won a Super Bowl, they've really been a viable threat. Yes, they made the postseason, but they've been a viable threat. No. Tampa Bay, they came back to earth once Bruce Arians won that Super Bowl with them. Where'd the Bengals go? Did they parlay it? They didn't even make the playoffs uh, this year. Joe Burrow gets hurt. But the Chiefs, six straight AFC title games, Super Bowl four out of five years. They keep the machine oil and they keep the machine uh, running. It's the hardest, hardest thing to keep doing. And yet the Chiefs keep doing it. And it takes more than Andy Reid. It takes more than Mahomes. It takes a front office and being able to work and massage the cap because Mahomes took up more cap money than any winning quarterback in the NFL last year when he won the Super Bowl. But yet they had five rookie defensive backs playing. They had uh, a leading rusher, a seventh-round pick. They had 61 starts for rookies last year. That was third most in the NFL. The top two teams picked one and two in the draft or one and two in the draft, or the Chiefs were third, but they won the whole thing, the Super Bowl. So it's one thing if your draft picks play, great. How good was your team? Well, the Chiefs won a Super Bowl by playing all their draft picks uh, in a record amount, and now they sit here with the youngest defense in the NFL. So credit that front office a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bank, got a little bit of time left, so I want to ask you two more things, and then we'll run. Uh, First, just how do you see this game playing out? You know, I think it's going to be – a uh, three-point game. All these Chiefs games are three-point games. You know, I'm not expecting a blowout. 
Either way, uh, I'm not expecting the 49ers to blow up the Chiefs. Uh, if you go by stats and kind of history, Mahomes had, what, four games in his entire career, postseason or regular season, where it's been more than one score. So they usually keep things within one score. The defense is the only defense not to give up 30 points uh, this year. I do think they'll slow things down. They've been going more longer on time of possession uh, this year, grinding that clock with the running game. But I'm looking for a uh, a Harrison-Butker difference in this game, being 27 to 24 Chiefs. It's the way they roll, man. They're the cardiac kids. A field goal is a blowout for them. Yeah, yeah, I, do. I very well could see but that. I can I see the Chiefs thirty to twenty-seven. So along those same yeah, lines, you know, of, of those sorts. Yeah. Uh, last thing, I, I know you. I know you're a big beer guy. We, we've talked about this in the past. What, what's the game plan for you Sunday? What are you What are you cracking open? Uh, is there some Boulevard involved here? What's What's the game plan Sunday? Well, I would if I wasn't working. Okay, I, I right. do work the pros game, so it, it it'll have to wait. It'll have to wait till the next night. So when I'm sitting back rewatching the Super Bowl, whatever, it's going to be Boulevard Irish Ale that's out now. Okay, which I love. I'm a big fan of the Founders Porter. Now that they they put their porter out there, they've had it for a while, but they've repackaged it. But the Founders Porter is delicious, and the Mother's Winter Grind that I did stock up on in December that they made in, make in Springfield, Missouri. Love that one. And the Winter Lager from Sam Adams. I drank it all. It was going on. It was limited six-packs. So now I got to go back to the Boston Lager, I guess, at this point. But uh, Winter Grind, the Porter, the Irish Ale, and there's a few breweries with some uh, Irish Reds uh, here locally that is call sign that I really like. Okay. Okay. Uh, now that I live in Dallas, a uh, little bit harder to find, but I do have one spot not too far from me that does happen to sell Tank 7 and Boulevard of Weed. That's all I need. Nice. Nice. You know what? I remember going down for SEC or the Big 12 Media Days, and we would always stop by the Angry Dog. Oh, yes. I don't know. If, yeah, they have Twisted Root down there. I know it's a popular burgers. I don't know if it still is, but it's called the Angry Dog, and it was down there near the Cotton Bowl. Okay. And they were like best burger in Dallas for I don't know how many years, but a lot. But get that in the cheese to dip the burger in, but it's called the Angry Dog. I don't know if it's still there or not. It should be. It's been there forever, but uh, strongly recommend that. Bank, uh, before we go, plug away. Where can people find you and also uh, hear your coverage uh, uh of, of the Super Bowl and all the stuff you're doing, man. Well, it'll be 610 Sports Radio and then 106.5 uh, The Wolf for the Chiefs game. It'll be a, a college segment I usually do on Chiefs now before the game. Then after the game, once the press conferences and Mitch and all that are done, I'll take calls for a couple hours and, and do that And uh, and on 610. And then uh, we started a podcast on Mondays. We release it Tuesday called Character Concerns, me and the another coworker. And we look at the draft and draft positions. And all throughout the college year, we'd look at who's playing, the matchups, um, especially some of these receivers, because a lot of times there's two and three good ones, draft ones on on teams, what corners were playing against certain receivers uh, to get that extra tension. So we've spent a lot of time on the draft. We download that on Wednesdays. Awesome. Uh, Pink, appreciate the time, man. Uh, best of luck and uh, go Chiefs. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, Tyler. Always enjoy it. <laughs> Time for Coach Bowles Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisor Group. You can find O'Connor Advisor Group online, OAGCast.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com, and check out the Coach Bo Knows Podcast out each and every week, wherever you're listening to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, how are we doing, my friend? We're doing pretty good. It's been a uh, recording, you know, as we're recording, it's been a busy week already, and uh, it's going to still be busy through the end of the week. And 
but looking forward to the Super Bowl. I mean, this is going to be a big game, and you know, it should be it should be a fun game. It should be an interesting game. Yeah, it it should be certainly looking forward to that, and we'll uh, talk about it here in just a moment. Uh, but certainly, want to check out O'Connor Advisor Group on GKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisor.com for more. Um, Bo, uh, early thoughts, uh, you know, on this heading into the latter half of the week of this, uh, this chiefs Niners game. Uh, it, it, it seems like to me that we're looking at Mahomes, Kelsey, Chris Jones versus the Niners 53. Like can the top heavy chiefs of their roster deal contain with the plethora of the Niners, like it, it very kind of similar in a sense to last year where the chiefs may add the best couple of players on the field, but the Eagles had the better roster kind of reminds me of that again here in this case where the Niners are the best roster in the league, but the Niners don't have 15 under center. I think the better roster on the offensive side of the ball, uh, save the quarterback, but, um, I think that you know they have the best left tackle, the best wide receiver, right. the best end, um, the best running back, that kind of thing. I think this game comes down to really just who's going to win that line of scrimmage. It's so important for the 49ers to run the football. Um, and the Chiefs have the Chiefs haven't been, if you look at the statistic of it, they have not been great against the run this year. But I will argue that a lot of times those games have been games where the Chiefs were behind in games and teams were running the ball more and more compared to what an average game is. So I really kind of throw that out. Plus, the Chiefs defense has played fantastic, not just in the playoffs, but really since Thanksgiving. I mean, even in the games they lost, the Chiefs defense played spectacular. And... I think they'll find a way. I think one of the ways you'll see it is they're going to move Chris Jones around a lot, even more so than normal. And I think you'll see him line up a lot on the defensive left, the offensive right, and try to stop and push around, be at the point of attack where the Niners like to run the ball the most. The Niners love to run the ball to their right side. And if Chris Jones can get big, get into holes, and make it hard for blockers to come through, then that's going to make it more difficult for them to run the football. Um, and you're going to see plays like that. And look, the Niners are going to get some plays. They're going to get some plays in the run game, just like they always do. In the end, to me, I look at it and go, the, the, the 49ers defense is solid. The Chiefs defense is better. Um, the Chiefs offense hasn't been great, but they can run the football a little bit. And they committed to it last week. We saw them commit really in the whole playoffs. We've seen them commit to the run, and they've been better at it. And then in the end, they got 15. I mean, they got Mahomes. And if I'm sitting in a game in this game, it's late. This is where having that tippy-top player makes a difference. There's five minutes to go in this game, and it's tied. You want the team with Patrick Mahomes or the team with Brock Purdy? Right. Uh, I bet against Patrick Mahomes. You know – the coaching matchup, two of the best in the league in Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan, whether it's fair or not, has taken a lot of criticism for how he's coached in some of these big games, dating back to when he was OC for the 
Falcons when they blew that 28 to three lead. I think he got blamed more than Dan Quinn did for that game. Uh, the 2020 Super Bowl when they blew that lead against the Chiefs took a lot of flack for that. And, and, you know, what people have said about them not getting back and him not getting over the hump and everything. Andy's already got his two rings, of course. Um, you know, been there, done that before. Do you see there being a coaching advantage for Andy over Kyle Shanahan? Do you do you take into account Kyle Shanahan's lack of success or, or struggles in these big games previously? Is that going to matter? I don't think it's the struggles in the big game. Where I think they have an advantage is that Andy Reid has shown, in Kansas City especially, that he's willing to make some changes in the game plan as he goes, let the flow of a game. Um, for instance, last week, I, they looked like they wanted to throw the ball a lot. And then as they got that lead, they were willing to say, let's run the ball. And even when it wasn't so effective, they only averaged 2.6 yards of carry last week. But they kept running and kept running the clock. And I think that was a change from where they wanted. I think they saw the defense playing extremely well and said, hey, these guys aren't going to get 20 points. So let's run this clock down. And I think that's the advantage I think Andy Reid has in this game. And I think he's also got players, most specifically Patrick Mahomes, that at the one key spot where you can change a game, the 49ers can't just go from the, 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 the balanced run attack they have to just throwing the ball all over the place. It's been kind of this, let's be real blunt about the 49ers these last two weeks or last two games. Detroit handed them this game. Detroit got ahead in the game, and twice in the fourth quarter, Dan Campbell could have kicked field goals to take a two-possession lead and what's the tie game and decided not to. Both times, the... 49ers got an, an advantage to that because of an issue with the coach on the other side. Uh, the turnover, and if you look at just the first and the last game, the turnover of the fumble in the Lions game, uh, the short field because of the going for it on fourth down, missing the field or not kicking a field goal, those gave, and then the play, the 50-yard play that was a ball thrown five yards under thrown, should have been fair caught for an interception, if you fair catch an interception. And then instead it bounces off a defender's face. Ayuk makes a great play on the backside. But you take those bounces. All four of those things had to happen for the 49ers to come back and win that game. The week before against the Packers, everyone was saying, well, Brock Purdy took him down at the end. Look, he checked down quite a bit. McCaffrey got hot in the second half. But it was never a real long two-possession game. It was one possession throughout the game. Uh, in the second half, once it got there, and really and truly, the biggest issue there was the Packers just didn't have horses on the defensive side of the ball, and they wore them down with the run game. They can't adjust like that. The 49ers are not able to adjust. Now, if the 49ers come out and they catch a lead and they're running the ball effectively, they're going to win the game. That's how that's that's what their steer, that's who they are, that's what they do, and that's how they won 13 games this year. Get out in front of you, make you throw the football to get because you're there because you're behind and run the clock. But if you get them down, 
It's going to be difficult against a really good defense. And they haven't played a really good defense yet. Not in this playoff. I, I like the Chiefs. I like the Chiefs here. I do. And I think that in the coaching piece of it, I don't know how Shanahan's going to, if things aren't exactly how they want it, how he's going to adjust. I think Andy Reid has a little couple of ideas in his back pocket and say, hey, look, if this isn't working, we go to this. If this is working, we go to this plan. And I think some of that has to do with also offensively the lack of, of continuous success this year on the offensive side of the ball. They've had to do some things in games to win. And that's really coaching in the end. We've seen the uh, Chiefs come back from behind now in – there are two Super Bowl wins with Patrick Mahomes. Um, we saw the Niners last week come back from behind against the Lions, as you mentioned. How important, though, is the first quarter going to be in in how this outcome ultimately turns out? How, how important is who gets out to that early lead or, or sets the tone early here? To me, it's more important for the 49ers than it is for the Chiefs. I think it's everything for the 49ers. I think the 49ers cannot. What I mean of that is, look, if, it, if it's 0-0 zero, zero after the first, that's okay both ways. I think both right. teams will be okay. Same with 7-7 um, seven, seven or 14-14. Fourteen, fourteen. Yeah, so it's even. What the 49ers cannot let happen is be down 14-0. If at any point the 49ers are down two touchdowns and the Chiefs have the ball, the game is over. If the Chiefs have a chance to make it a three-possession game, it'll be over. And... If they do make it a three-possession game, even if it's 17, it's over. You can, if you're Kansas City, pop the bottles you've won because they're not coming back from three scores now. Once it gets to 17 points, and I'm not saying that it will. I don't, that's not what I'm calling for. But that's you should make your first quarter thing. I think it's very important for the 49ers to not fall behind. They want to play even money all the way through, that's fine. What they're going to try to do is make the shorten the game and hope that they can break something in the third quarter and dominate that third quarter and beginning of the fourth quarter with their run game. Whether it's a coach or player, either one, who do you think has the most to gain from a Super Bowl win here? Uh, well, I think Brock Purdy does. I, I think that he gets the people like me who are still naysayers about Brock Purdy will have to say, hey, look, the kid won a Super Bowl. What are you going to do? Um, I think he has the most to gain. I think Kyle Shanahan gets the monkey off his back of 28-6, and uh, that helps him, certainly. The 49ers organization, I think it's off, it gets the monkey off their back of, you know, they have five Super Bowl championships, and while Bill Walsh didn't coach all five of them, George Seifert coached one, um, those teams are Bill Walsh's teams. They have not been successful to the top level since really the 1990s and the Bill Walsh era. And so that helps them as well. I think there's a, it erases a lot of so-called mistakes for, um, you know, for John Lynch, the GM, you know, with the whole Trey Lance situation and what all happened there. It erases a lot of things for the 49ers. For the Chiefs, it cements a legacy. It cements Andy Reid's legacy as a, tippy top coach of all time it submits patrick mahomes as one of the all-time he, he's already one of the all-time but the really three super bowl wins is going to submit him in that he is one of the all-time top four or five players ever at that position 
You know, I think that's where the legacies or as far as you talk about the gain thing, the biggest gain is the on the 49ers side, more so than the Chiefs side. Yeah, I certainly see that. Uh, you mentioned Andy Reid, and I know there's some questions floating about his future. I, I don't personally think he's retiring anytime soon, but you, you're pretty convinced that if they win it all, he's he's going out on top. I don't see why you wouldn't back to back. No, I can see the idea of trying to. No one's done three in them. No one's done three in them. So I could see that as something he would try to do. But man, back to back, you know, he's getting up there. He's going to turn 67, 66, 66. Year, 66 like next month. Um, you know, I think the difference between him and like a, a Pete Carroll or a Belichick who got into their 70s as a coach is. Like he's, I don't mean to say bad because I'm in that same boat, but he's carrying a lot of extra weight, you know, physically. How tiring does that make him? And even if he enjoys that grind, look, 66 years old, that's hard to get out of bed and do that every single day. I I, I hope that I'm wrong on this. And I did see where he was asked the question at the Super Bowl, and he gave a real non-answer answer. And that kind of convinced me a little bit more that it's at least on his radar. I don't think he goes in, I'll say it this way. I don't think he goes in, they win the game, and he retires right after the game. But I could see a month from now him saying, yeah, it's time. Because there's also going to be, and I don't, this is going to sound strange to say it this way, there's a little bit of a rebuild needing to be done here, offensively especially, when it comes to personnel. And that may take them some time. I mean, they, they have a they have a really great crutch in Patrick Mahomes, but they, they really don't have a lot offensively when it comes to the wide receiver position. As good as Travis Kelsey is, he's an all-time great, and he's in the Mount Rushmore of tight ends. This season hasn't been his best. You know, is he slowing down? He's 34 right now, I think it is. You really got a couple more years there at a top, at the tippy top level. Where he, is, he can play which a, a is high natural, volume. Which is natural, volume. by the way. But like people shouldn't yeah, be shocked that he's not knock, slowing down. Not a knock on the man. He, it also it was clear that for the, at least first half of this season, he's been hurt. Yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with the stuff off the field with him and Taylor Swift or any of that stuff. That man's clearly injured. Yeah. That man's got bumps and bruises. He hasn't talked about it. And there's something going on there. He's gotten thinner. I noticed that on the field. It doesn't mean that if he gets, you know, an offseason to rest and to fix some things, he'll be fine. But the way he plays, it's really hard to do that when you're 36, 37, 38. You know, the guy who was, you know, I think better than Kelsey, Gronkowski, eventually said, "Now nah, I'm not going to put my body to this anymore. And I think that that's what could happen with Travis Kelsey. So you have to, that's another piece of the, the algebra of how do you change this offense moving forward? to see how Patrick Mahomes and what they're going to do in this Chiefs offense. And Andy Reid may not want to do that. He may not. I don't know. And maybe I'm wrong, but I there's a lot to it. And when you start thinking it in, if you did the old Ben Franklin T-square, there's a lot of reasons to take it and ride off into the sunset with Super Bowl energy. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly fascinating. God. Especially winning it with this team, because this will be the worst team he's won it with. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fair point. Um 
Bo, uh, last week you said you liked the Chiefs. Uh, in in your mind, what type of game do we see? Like, you, I know you got a Chiefs win, but how do you see this game ultimately playing out? I, I see the Chiefs leading throughout. They're, they're a, kind of a score ahead most of the time. Uh, whether that means the Forty get the ball first and score, I mean, at some point the Forty's may be ahead, but. I see that for most of the game, the Chiefs are slightly ahead, three points, four points, seven points ahead. And then I see a mistake on the 49ers offensive side. I, I see an interception, a turnover of some kind, most likely a Brock Purdy interception. Um, and that giving the Chiefs a shorter field or the momentum. Um, I have said my final my final score now, because I give it to you if you want, or you want to hold on. Yeah, yeah, that. go ahead. I have 30-20 Chiefs. And okay. again, I kind of think it's one of those, it's, you know, 10-7, 17-10, 17-14, whatever it might be, all the way through till the fourth quarter. And then you see in the last half of the fourth quarter, that three to four point lead for the Chiefs becomes a 10 point. Yeah. And again, where it could go completely badly wrong is if the 49ers strike first and second. Yeah. If it's 14 nothing. 49ers. It flips the whole thing from what I think happens. There is a strong possibility that happens. I mean, that's why they're the favorite. Right. And we've seen the Chiefs, when they don't run the football, are usually not winning, not a good team. And you're down 14 nothing. You're probably getting away from the run game. Yeah, but what we have seen in the playoffs, and we've criticized them a lot, you and I have, all season long by not running the ball. But we saw a commitment to running the ball the last two weeks, especially last week. And what was the big knock we've given them? It was when they did run the ball, they got away from it quickly when they didn't have success. But last game, in the championship game, they did not. Even when they didn't have success, they just kept coming. Yes, but they haven't had to play from behind this postseason, too. That's true. And that helps. So that's why you mentioned the first quarter thing. I think it's big. The team that gets ahead in the first quarter is going to kind of have this. And I do think we see some scoring throughout. Yeah. I, like I said, I got it. I got the, from the, for the gambling purposes, I took the Chiefs in the money line and the over in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got Chiefs 30 27. Yeah. And again, I see that too. I mean, that's, that's, to me, that's the kind of thing I can see that score because I'm picking 30 20 is, the 49ers get down 10 points with three minutes to go. They have the ball. They get one score, but not two. Right. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but with the Super Bowl, obviously, you know, it's such a great game, but the event around it, right? First Super Bowl ever in Vegas. And who would have thought even 10 years ago this would be the case? Um, you know, the media side of things, uh, you know, you have – we're starting to see the uh, – the the game the mega cast development of sorts of not only just the CBS but you got the Nickelodeon broadcast you got the simulcast on Paramount Plus and and all that's involved and everything I mean just the the event itself and where the league is at Bo um, what's kind of your thoughts just overarching you know kind of aerial view of of the event of where we're at with the Super Bowl now from from where we've been. It's amazing what this has turned into. It's like a national holiday. Um, honestly, the NFL should play this game the Sunday before President's Day. Yes. 
and everybody should get the day off after work because you know the banks and post. I think we will add one more round of the playoffs at some point. That'll happen. Yeah. And, and I think that you look at it that way, you just go, man, it's um, it's pretty unbelievable that you go in and say this many people watch the game. It's just it's just a, it's an event that there's nothing like. Like worldwide, we had it with the World Cup a couple of years ago, the World Cup final. And even in America, that was becoming bigger. I mean, I, I stopped and watched it this past time. But this game, everybody watches. Literally everybody. And I think that it's it's a cultural phenom like phenomenon like nothing else in this country. And you know, it's not spread worldwide like you know some sports have, like like soccer has, for instance. But um, it's something that once you see it, you go, "Wow!" The Vegas thing is amazing. It's like that's like the perfect place to have this because of everything that happens with the whole week. You know, it really lasts the last two weeks, honestly, building up to it. I imagine you know, if everything goes according to plan, Vegas is going to be a regular stop for Super Bowls. I would, I would think so. I think it's one of those, like, you know, New Orleans has been that place in the past. Right. Miami. Miami's got it, too. Tampa. But if you, if you can do this and have Vegas every five years, this is the one people would save up to go to because there's so much to do. And it's it's a gluttonous place. I mean, you can do anything in Las Vegas. I was in Las Vegas two weeks ago. I mean, it was, you can do, I mean, there's so much you can do and there's so many places and things and it's amazing, and you can have everything there close. You know, they have these games in Miami or Phoenix or, you know, I think they've had it. Where else have they had it last few years? I mean, New Orleans. Atlanta, L.A. LA. You, things get spread out because you don't have a central area where everything is. Well, the cool thing about Vegas, you get stripped. Right. We were, my wife and I went to Vegas not this past weekend, weekend before. Weekend of the championship games. As we were leaving on Monday, we were at Caesar's Palace. We stayed. We were walking out. They were putting up the decorations and getting the decorations that morning ready for the NFL stuff there. Um, the night before, we were walking the strip, going to the Bellagio to see the fountains, and they had already built the ESPN stage that's in front of the Bellagio right now. It was already built a week and a half ago. It, it, it's, it's What's cool about that is that you can in Vegas, everything's right there. You know, that Allegiant Stadium is very close to the Strip. They have the Sphere now where you could do stuff if you wanted to. I don't think they've done anything this week, but you could do stuff there. There's so much you can do in such a small area compared to most major cities. You know, when they had a Super Bowl in New York, it was a disaster. Yes. Because you couldn't have everything in one area. You know, New Orleans is the only place like that because everything can be downtown. It's a different kind of city. It's a touristy city. But nothing else works that way. Not Miami, not Phoenix, not L.A., not New York. Atlanta's the only other place. Yeah, Atlanta. And see, Atlanta's different, though, because Atlanta has a different kind of nightlife than everywhere else. You know, there's there's no casinos. There's strip clubs, some really good ones, too. But there's, there's um, you know, there's strip clubs. That's pretty much all you got in Atlanta. You got basically... Meet, you got a bunch of hotels in the, in the downtown area by the Mercedes-Benz Dome, and then you've got some strip clubs. But even that's kind of spread out. The rest of that, see, they don't have gambling. They don't have a lot of other great nightlife there. Right. No, it's, it, it, Vegas is a different place. It's got it, all of that 
and all in a certain area. I think, Bo, we're anticipating there will probably be an incident. Something is going to happen. But, I mean, this is what we all signed up for. Barring some major scandal of some sorts, like, we we, we all know that this is gonna, this is what we signed up for. Like, the NFL is going to have to just accept the consequences of what, what's some, – somebody's going to screw up at some point here. Yeah, you know, we're in – we're recording this on Wednesday, and we haven't seen that yet. You know, we haven't seen a Eugene Robinson situation yet. If you know, you know. I mean, it's one of those we haven't seen something like that yet, which you think especially in Vegas you'd see. Um, but who knows? I mean, it, it's also now with NFL security and how they keep these players, you know, a lot of that's going to be tight, tightened up the next couple of nights as well. You're not going to see players out Saturday night, Friday night, maybe even Thursday night. You'll see a lot less of that. I did see a bunch of people were at the uh, Golden Knights game on uh, Tuesday night. I watched that game, and there was a shitload of people at that game. Yeah. The suites were full of athletes and celebrities and sports people. So, yeah, kind of interesting. I, yeah, I, yeah. If, as long as the NFL gets out without any major scandal, then it's going to work, and they'll – and so far, so good. Because they right. a lot of them have already been out there for a week. You know, a lot of the the media people and, and some of that stuff's already been out there since a week ago. Right. And so it's going to be ramped up more and more and more. But also, if you look Vegas, especially for something like this, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. And so to go to this, you've got to have some serious money, not just tickets to the game. I mean, you're talking a thousand bucks a night for a hotel. Right. I saw a thing where like the, the the few hotels that had rooms left over were some of the crappiest places there, and they were still seven or eight hundred dollars a night. That was as of last week. I mean, had, I saw the like Johnny, circus still had rooms, and it was nine hundred bucks a night. I saw the Johnny Rockets uh, hamburger joint at the MGM. Uh, it was twenty five bucks for a hamburger. <laughs> I'm glad it was two weeks ago, not this week. Yeah, I. Yeah, it. <laughs> It's yeah, you're gonna get gouged no matter what you do there. I mean, yeah. But but if you go into the Super Bowl, you're going to the Super Bowl, and that's what it is. I mean, it, yeah. Um, those games like it's changed now. It's not a it's not a fans game. That's not a great game to go to in person, unless you're a fan of a team, right? Because it's it's very corporate. It's very quiet. I've known people who've gone to Super Bowls. I've never been to one, but I've heard people who have. They, they all tell me that the game atmosphere kind of sucks because you don't have the announcers. And the stadium's kind of quiet because two-thirds of the tickets are to corporations and people will work in those corporations and they're just going because they can't. They right. don't have any kind of reason to be there. Right. To be... Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Last thing on the uh the NFL here, then we'll move on. Talk some college ball. Um, coaching changes seems like everything's set. Uh barring any surprise firings or retirements. Uh the eight head coaching openings filled. Uh, Bo, since we last talked, Dan Quinn officially took the commander's job. Mike McDonald, uh, you know, took the uh, the Seahawks job, and that's where we're at. What do you think of the this this cycle, and uh, who were some of the winners and losers uh, in your opinion? Wow, um, I think the Commanders were a winner with Dan Quinn. I, I was I was kind of you know we talked about it. we thought he was going to. Um, Seattle. Um, I gotta pull that list up. But as I think about it now, um, 
There's none where I was like underwhelmed and none that I was overwhelmed on. Okay. And we didn't see Ben Johnson didn't get one of the jobs. And um, you know, he was a favorite. You know, the Lions offensive coordinator decides he's gonna stay in Detroit. Um Belichick didn't get a job, which was surprising because I thought he was gonna get the Atlanta job. We heard what Rainbow. happened there. Stories with that now. I think we talked about it a little bit last week. Right. Um, I think that um I think for the most part teams did well. There was none where I went, eh, I don't know about that hire. There really wasn't one where I was underwhelmed. The Chargers probably made the best hire in getting right. Harbaugh, and that situation works well, considering that, to me, the only positive to that one was money, well, two positives, a lot of money if you got it, which he did, and then Justin Herbert. Right. Um, but I think they were the winner as far as getting the best of what they could get. Right. But in the end, it's um, I wasn't overwhelmed, not underwhelmed. That's fair. Um, I, I would say like the the two that I was kind of underwhelmed, like the Titans going Brian Callahan. I mean, I thought there was better candidates out there than Brian Callahan. I mean, quite frankly, they I thought that would have been better off keeping Mike Vrabel than hiring Brian Callahan. And yeah. then the Falcons going with Raheem Morris, like. I don't that know one, if Raheem Morris is any different of a coach than what he was when he didn't work out in Tampa. I actually disagree with you. I think Raheem Morris is actually a good fit there. Um, I think that he's, got a, he's a guy who's now coached on both sides of the ball. Um, he's someone who's really become, for lack of a better, he's kind of become an OG. Like everyone in the league knows him and respects him. Um, and I think that they liked him. It, I don't think that they didn't like Bill Belichick. I think in the end, they liked Raheem Morris better. And I think that it's a positive that you know, he was a defensive coach. He goes a couple places and takes some time on the offensive side of the ball. I think he is a better coach than he was when he was the head coach uh, at Tampa years ago. And now he's going somewhere where he's kind of half-ass familiar because he's been in that division before. And now he's being left the keys to a pretty good car. He needs to drive him. They'll get a driver in his draft, or they'll go get Justin Justin Fields. And I think they have a plan for that. I think that's part of the reason he got that job. I don't see that as a bad as a as a bad coaching hire. I think that was probably a pretty good coaching hire, especially in that division, because all four of those teams, they could all get better really quick. And Atlanta has a lot of really nice pieces, offensively and defensively. They just weren't coached very well this past year, and they don't have a quarterback. Right. So I yeah I see where you were going with that. I mean, if you if you think he's the same old Raheem Morris, but I really don't. I think also being with uh, Sean McVay for a year probably helped him out quite a bit for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I built that's a Sean McVay is you know obviously a great offensive mind everyone talks about, but what I've been impressed with Sean McVay about has been the last two seasons and what he's done with less. Like this season was Sean McVay's best coaching year. That team was not very good going into the season. And he made them much better. And they were right there to get in and, and do something in the playoffs. And I again, they're not a fully talented deal. They've screwed themselves with the draft and the things they've done with trades and whatnot, but they sold all those parts off already. They don't have a lot of that left. And I think that Raheem Morris saw that and was there for it and says, okay, how do you make some of these pieces work? And I think he saw some great head coaching. And I think he was part of that. And I think that Sean McVay is smart enough to 
I think Sean McVay learned a lot early in his career as a head coach from um, uh, from Bum, uh, um, uh, I almost said Bum Phillips, uh, from uh, Bum Phillips' son. Um, he's old DC. You know what I'm talking about? From who? Uh, Wade Phillips. Wade, Wade Phillips, Phillips, yes. Wade Phillips. Bum Phillips' son. Bum Phillips' son. Um, but Wade, you know, Wade Phillips is one of those, again, kind of OG kind of things, and that's what helped Sean McVay. I think some of the lessons that he learned there, he's passed on to Raheem Morris now. And I think that we're going to see Raheem Morris be kind of a Sean McVay type of coach. Now, I don't mean that means he's going to be this great offensive mind because he's clearly not. He's a defensive guy first. But that defense will be better. They're in they're in a division that's not very talented. They get a good person to steer the to steer the offense. They can win the division really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think I was a good hire. Just a quarterback away, that team is. Uh, let's, yeah. let's talk college football now. Uh, some uh, news this week about the SEC and Big Ten working on uh, some NIL packs together and rumblings about if this could lead to a potential separation from the rest of the NCAA and maybe could we see the SEC and the Big Ten have their own playoff. I mean, just a, a whole different can of worms potentially opening up. Uh, with this, Bo, uh, what, what's kind of your reaction from what you've read, and, and what does this all mean? Well, I think this is the next logical step. We've talked, you know, at length over the years in this pod about we saw that eventually this was going to be a situation where the NCAA was not going to be able to hold together what they want to do in senses of football. And I think what this exploratory thing between the between the SEC and the Big Ten is, is how do we eventually take, get away from the NCAA, have football pulled out to its own, its own governing body, and what that does is it opens a playoff to more games, more financials, more money, and not having to share it with really anybody more than the four major conferences. And I think that's, I think that's the most, this is the next logical step. And it, the fact that it's the SEC and the Big Ten, the two biggest of the, of the, the two biggest dogs, that gives it enough power. Those two commissioners have enough power that if they decide, and they're, they're, they're saying they're not trying to split, but they're going to find a way. And even if that's just football, they're going to find a way. I, I do think it's football and men's basketball eventually, but I do think it's at least football. And say, and again, where they're going next is the, the 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 expansion of the playoff is way too much money to put into the hands of the NCAA. When you know you can get things from Amazon, when you can get things from Apple, when you can see what now this new collective that's coming together between ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery, there's money to be had, there's money to be made, and. The NCAA is the only thing holding them back from making big money. Yeah, I mean, you look at their TV contracts uh, right now, and yeah, we've seen big explosions of what they're making, but it's not even close. Everything combined is not even half as much as the NFL contracts that are out there. I mean, there is still money sitting out there for these leagues. Yeah, and especially if you expand that playoff and you get, you know, and, or if you can say, hey, we don't have to abide by these other agreements we made with the NCAA 
and you don't have to profit share with these other schools. There's so much money. And that money can, and look, it, it, it sounds greedy for me to say it's all about the money, but look, it is all about the money. Anybody that says it's not is not paying attention. This is not amateurism. It hasn't been for 20 years. You know, when this thing went, when the BCS first came out, amateurism is dead. Yeah. Now the players are getting paid. The schools want to figure out a way to take some of their money and get involved with that. You know, it's it's going to be a lot to this. When, when Dartmouth is winning lawsuits this week, Dartmouth athletes, that yeah, they about, are employees at Dartmouth, yeah. then the whole system is gone. Yeah, they're yeah. wanting to unionize. And if they do that, then well, there's a, there's a whirlwind coming for the NCAA. And I think a lot of this also has to do with all the lawsuits the NCAA is in and trying to back away from that as much as the conferences can because they don't want to be on the hook for that. The NCAA, the idea of the NCAA was great for amateurism, but that's not what we have anymore. Not at any level and not at any sport anymore. I mean, you look at what's going on with Iowa women's basketball and Caitlin Clark. You know, women's basketball is drawing ratings now on ESPN. LSU versus South Carolina drew better ratings than a whole shitload of ESPN programming two weeks ago. Yeah. You know, these are things that are happening in the in the past. It's it was I hate using the term, but it was slave labor. They weren't being paid. They were just given a scholarship. It reminds me, do you watch South Park? Yeah. Because I'm not a huge South Park fan, but I had a friend of mine who is who said the episode I had to watch was when Cartman became the head of a sports organization of some kind, some kind of college sports organization. Yes. And he's kind of like Big Daddy. I mean, he's yes. he's got the white suit and the white hat, and he refers to the players as slaves. And that's no longer part of the deal. The, the, there is a cost of doing business now. These athletes can go make this money. You know, I was listening to, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, last week, uh, you know, here in Lawrence, Kansas, Bill Self said in an interview at Hawk Talk that this season's been his hardest season to coach. And that it's because the players aren't all on the same page as a team. And he kind of referred to NIL. Rick Pitino had a, a comment about NIL over the weekend. We talked about yeah, this he, coach book. He was saying he wants a salary cap. Yeah. And I think that the comment Bill Self made was really intended to be for one particular player on this roster. And I think that it's and with the Patino thing and a few other things that are that have been said out there. Look, we've now seen Boston College's head coach leaves a head coaching job in the in in, in the in the ACC to go to be a coordinator in the NFL. We were talking pregame, pre uh, pre shot here, and you said something about Chip Kelly is one of the top candidates for the Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinator job. He's a head coach in the Big Ten. Yeah, he's a head coach at UCLA. I mean, like if if that's an, if NIL, the bad side to NIL is that. If you're not down with NIL as a head coach and you want it to be like the way it was, it ain't coming back. There's a reason Nick Saban just retired. There's a reason Jay Billis retired as early as he did two years ago. This is part of the issue these coaches have. And 
there's going to be some coaches who can play in this and some that can't. And when you look at it now, the NIL, now you get this big 10 and SEC piece. The players want to get paid. They know they have, they have the right to. The money's got to come from somewhere. And right. It's, yeah. Now the players have the players have management side now. Right. One thing I wonder on the SEC and Big Ten front, Bo, um, the way the TV contracts line up and everything, you you could have a situation. I heard this hypothetical uh, of by twenty thirty three of the SEC and Big Ten doing the either they control it or the schools, whatever, doing the Super League thing and, and cutting out the dead weight, if you will, the Vanderbilts, the Indianas uh, of the world, South Carolina, you know, th- 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 those types, right? Purdue. Um, with where we're going, I mean, we already made massive changes to the structure of, uh, of college athletics with what's ahead in this upcoming you know, realignment that begins this upcoming year. Taking a step further, what is stopping from that 2033 mark of of creating the Super League or, or weeding out the dead weight? Do, do you see that happening? I do. I think that we're going to, and I think it'll even be more than that. I think it'll be before that. I think at some point in the next few years, these 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 conferences, the, the top four, the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the ACC, will all figure out ways to get out of their current contracts. And they will form a super league. And it, it won't be all the teams. The Big Ten, the Big 12 is going to cut some teams. The SEC is going to cut a couple teams. The Big Ten is going to cut some teams. And they're going to say, hey, we're not going here with 80 teams. We're going to go in with 60. Oh, or, I, I, Bo, I, I think you could see the SEC and Big Ten just be a 32-team league. You could. Now, I think that – I don't think you'll see that. You could technically. But I do think what you could see is those two go in and start picking off the uh, the Florida States, the um, I guess Clemson's going to be one of those schools right now, North Carolina. Um, I'm going to try to think of here. Of the Big 12, I think it may be Colorado, the Guion thing. We'll see what happens there. Kansas should be good in football this year. We'll see how they go. Kansas State's one of those schools still left in there. Um, you know, they might say, hey, let's go get Miami. Is one of those those things. You might see those two go and start scrapping at, picking some scraps. Louisville would be another one. That you could pick out maybe eight to ten of those schools. And you add them. And again, like the Big Ten's got to get rid of Purdue and Indiana. The SEC needs to lose Vanderbilt. Probably Mississippi State. Um, when you get those South schools Carolina. out. Yeah. yeah, South Carolina probably too. Um, although I think South Carolina probably still would be in. Um you put those other 10 schools in, take three or four out. Now you've gone from what? There's 20 schools in the Big Ten currently now? Is it six? How many the Big Ten is new? Or 18. If, how many, 16 or 18? 18 next year. Yeah. And the SEC has 16 teams. So right. that's 34 teams, 18 and 16. So you look, okay, I got – you add in, take a couple out, you're down to 32 again maybe, 30. Add in 10 more, back to 40. Yeah. You have a really competitive league that people will want to watch. Yeah. It would become like the, I could see the SEC, the Big Ten, and then whoever wants to go with them sort of creating their own version of the EPL 
of soccer. Yeah, Super League. Yeah, a Super League, and saying, "Hey, this is the Super League of, of college sports." Well, and and what's to keep, let's say, the schools? You know, what if they say, "What do we need the conferences even for to do this? Why don't we yeah. do it ourselves?" They are better to do it without the conferences, right? Because they don't the revenue share that. Right. Look, nobody, it, nobody in the SEC or the Big Ten wants to revenue share with Iowa State. Right. So Alabama doesn't give a shit about Iowa State. Michigan doesn't give a shit about, um, give me someone bad from the, from the ACC. Uh, Boston College. Yeah. You know, again, they don't need to be there. Yeah. Now, maybe the NCAA then says, we'll take the rest of them. Yeah. Here's an idea. A new division too, if you will. Here, Here's an idea, Bo. Let's say that the top, 32 or, or 40, somewhere between 32 to 40 football programs say, we're going to create this Super League. And then the rest of you that don't get in, you're going to go back to regional conferences and you're going to compete for your own championship. And mm-hmm. they'll still get a nice TV package themselves. People still want to watch those teams. Like, I, I think that that might be the end game here when this is all said and done is that, you have the Super League at the top, and then everybody goes back to regional conferences for the other for the other leagues. Yeah, I mean, it's you know there was this thing as realignment was starting to happen. You know, in the Big Twelve country, there was this thing of like, what would happen to that Kansas State, Iowa State, Oklahoma State? They kind of tried to tether themselves to bigger schools, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, especially. Um, look, when that ha- didn't happen. And you know they they they've all stayed at the Big Twelve, but none of them got poached like Oklahoma did, Texas did. Um, you know they were worried that Big Twelve would become Mountain West. Right. There's nothing wrong with the Mountain West. Look, there's some of those schools in the Mountain West better better schools than some of these schools in the Big Twelve and the ACC. And you could take those schools. You could take a few of these other teams. And look, there's a couple in the SEC. There's a couple in the Big Ten that should probably go to. You know, there's a reason that uh, Oregon State and Washington State got left behind. Yeah. You know, so again, regionalize that. If you want to have it to where they have a loose affiliation with a playoff, great. Okay. Your regional champs can all come to our playoff. Right. You think you're good? Come and play in our playoff. But we're not going to let you in to our regular tournament. Right. Not gonna let you play. And I think what happens is you see the the rule within the the new hierarchy at the top is okay, you play a certain schedule, but you can't play any games or more than one or two games outside of this. You know, we can't let you play three games against Mountain West, Pac 12, Big 12 schools. You know, but you can play one or two, that kind of thing. I, yeah. It'll be interesting. There's a lot. There's so much to do. The big thing that these two commissioners have got to figure out as they're putting this together is where's the money come from? And is there enough to make our best, biggest visions come true? That's where the issue is. How much money? Where, you know, we've seen what's happened now with the, with the two big conferences and their two packages. How much more money is there? The other issue right now, we also got the NBA is about to re-up their, their rights this summer. So like a Warner Brothers Discovery 
you know, they're going to put six or seven billion dollars into the NBA. They may not want a piece of this college football thing. It may not be as big enough a company. But here comes an Apple. Here comes Amazon. Here comes Google. And says, Google says, hey, we'll put you on YouTube. Amazon says, we got Prime. You know, and then Apple says, we got Apple TV. Netflix could be another big company that comes in and does something with them. Netflix yeah. has got into the WWE. Right. Could they be the next one to jump in on something live? Well, and, and and I was listening to John Skipper, the former ESPN president who's now with Metalark, uh, Dan Leptard's company a while back, and he said that, you know, hey, ratings are not the most important thing. It's not what people make it out to be of, of you know, that we're so ratings-driven when it comes to this. What it comes down to is, am I making money off that product? Is that generating enough revenue for everything else? Like, I can... He said the NBA, he said, I don't care what it would take. If I'm running ESPN, I'm gonna I'm I'm not letting go to the NBA because what it does for all my other programming and content. Um, but you know, the we all know the NBA's ratings have been in the tank. You know, they've they've fallen off the last couple of years, but it still drives everything else. Yeah. And there's a truth to that. I mean, you still have to produce some ratings on regular television, but what you will see is there are certain companies that can that can position what they're making money off of differently off those rights. Amazon has the best way. Amazon does not give a shit how many people watch those games. Yeah. They're going to get the subscriptions. They're going to get you over to Prime. And when they do, they know you're going to shop. Now, Google has got YouTube. And now they've got their Google shopping piece, which is now coming on board. And that's the model that Google's going to want to do. And they're going to use it through YouTube and YouTube TV. You know, now we see that Fox has waited a long time to get the Fox Sports stuff and everything else to streaming. They've just made a deal this week with ESPN to do a set-aside streaming deal. And they brought in Warner Brothers Discovery. What, what's what's kind of, I don't want to say weird, but what's interesting about it was that the two companies that weren't invited into it where CBS Paramount and Paramount Plus with CBS and Peacock and NBC. Yeah. And so there's a lot of the, I want to see how that's going to all be structured. I mean, we're just, that just broke today as we're talking about that. So I'm interested to see how that's going to go. But again, my understanding is, is the, they're going to be all three, the three owners are going to have a certain amount of equity based on what they pay in rights. Yeah. So again, you pay for the basketball rights I think this had to do just as much about getting, and also the regional sports networks for local NBA, local Major League Baseball, and the NHL. Yeah. A lot of that's on ESPN already. So, right. yeah, I mean, that's it's all going to be out there, and that's that's more than what the NCAA stuff is. I mean, it's it, it, we're in an interesting time as people are cutting the cord and as a whole generation of people who are you know older than us, are going away. I mean, people die, just the natural progression of things. People who are comfortable with the idea of not having true cable, it's going to make a better opportunity for these streaming services and further, it's going to create more money. Because now ESPN is making more money streaming than they ever did from the cable companies. Yeah, and then uh, you got direct-to-consumer for ESPN probably launching sooner than later as well, um, which is going to be about probably 25 to 30 bucks a month. Um, 
and that'll be a nice revenue stream as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very fascinating time. Bo, uh, we're out of time. Enjoy the uh, the Super Bowl this weekend. What's uh, what's coming up on the podcast, and what is on your uh, your the the Super Bowl uh, menu uh, at the the O'Connor uh, Super Bowl uh, get together? We'll do that piece first. So at the O'Connor House, first off, there is no Super Bowl party at our house. Um, we tried that a few years ago, and I'm just too much of a football nerd to watch TV, watch games, an interesting game with other people. So there will be no party at my house. It's just, no, but but there is a good meal still on. Well, meal, oh yeah, but we will throw down the meal. Now we have not set a final. That's actually something we're going to talk about the next couple of nights. Um, most likely, there'll be some wings. There'll be some kind of my wife makes a great, fantastic queso dip. I have something with that. There'll be some other snacks in there. Who knows? We, we're going to dream up some shit because this is. It's also my wife and I have both been doing this. You know, we're doing this weight loss thing, especially me. And so this Sunday is my cheat day. I have been very, very good. And I'm going to just fucking throw down on Sunday. <laughs> I might have a cheat day equal to like what The Rock does. You just, I don't know. I know that we won't have any pizza. I know that because I'm I'm kind of, that's something I'm avoiding. But there'll be some, there'll be some fun stuff. And the wife is a damn good cook. So it'll just put some cool stuff. Um, what was the other piece of that? It was. Oh, what's uh, going on the podcast? Yes. Pod, yeah. So on the pod, Coach on this pod, a uh, new episode just came out. We talked a little bit about uh, about some of this stuff. We talked about Kansas basketball, a couple of things going on there. We kind of predicted. I got to give a shout out to Token Girl. She predicted the KU lost to Kansas State with the bounce back piece, uh, the trap game piece of that. Um, but we talked a little bit about that this past week. This week we're going to do another update on Kansas basketball, being a little local here. But then we're going to be talking about the Super Bowl. Well, Super Bowl preview coming up. Uh, that should be out by Friday. And then early next week, we're going to get into, we'll probably start the draft and probably start who's getting cut and some of the sports business stuff. And then as we know more about this new streaming service, what's going to happen? So, yeah. Bo, appreciate the time. Enjoy the Super Bowl. And I will talk to you next week. Hey, thank you. Take care. Final segment before we go. It's the Tom Fuller story of the week. Thomas Bridges standing by with something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where are we going to this step? Jones, we are going to the uh, the Great American Pizza Place, Pizza Hut. No one out pizzas the hut. They don't, and and you know what? The Super Bowl coming up. Uh, you know, it's getting into that. It's Super Bowl's coming up. Great day for pizza, and Valentine's Day is also coming up, and you know, cuffing season pretty much ends after Valentine's Day. Um. And and after that, then it's uh you know, spring break happens, and then all the breakups happen. But speaking of the breakups and pizza at the same time, uh, Pizza Hut's are rolling this out for Valen- for Valentine's Day. It's coming up. It'll be next week. You know, what are you gonna do? Do you want to really? Do you really want to buy your girlfriend like a teddy bear and roses like you do every single year and spend fifty dollars on a giant teddy bear that her dog ends up tearing up? Or do you want to buy our goodbye pizza? This comes from CNN Business. Pizza Hut's Goodbye Pies campaign wants to aid your breakup woes. Relationship on the brink. Pizza Hut wants you to say goodbye with a hot honey pie. Pizza Hut launched its Goodbye Pies campaign February 6th, which lets customers order free Pizza Hut delivery to the address of an ex-lover. 
from now until Valentine's Day, customers can go to goodbyepies.com. I don't know if I'd if I didn't know the context, I wouldn't enter that. Um, goodbyepies.com to order a hot honey pizza for delivery to their long gone partner or soon to be ex. Whether your intentions are sweet or salty, you can leave your personal touch on the Goodbye Pies order as the program includes the option to write a customized message to your ex on the delivery box. Valentine's Day is considered the romance holiday, evoking gestures involving chocolate, roses, and dinner dates. Yet leading up to its latest marketing stunt, Pizza Hut cited YouGov polling that reveals 45% of people believe it's best to end troubled relationships before February 14th. The campaign is centered on the release of the new Pizza Hut menu items, including a hot honey pizza and hot honey wings. The rising popularity of the sweet heat flavor profile has led to hot honey becoming the most requested test item by our team members, and we're thrilled to have it as the newest menu uh, addition. The Goodbye Pies campaign runs until February 14th and is available in select. This is the bullshit part of it. Like, why only three markets here? It says available in select locations only. And they list them New York, which is pretty New York City, Miami, Chicago. That's it. That's all you get. So I can't even do it in Dallas. That's what I'm saying. Like you just leave out LA and you leave out Vegas. You leave out I mean you leave out Dallas. I'm gonna tell you um, this right now. There's a lot of broken hearts in Vegas. Yeah, especially, and there'll be more of them after this weekend. But, and, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So, um, but that being said, Jones, you get the, you can still order the hot honey pizza. And hot honey on pizza is like a, kind of like a new trend. I had, there's a pizza in Tulsa at Bohemian Woodfire Pizza called the Angry Bee. And it has pepperoni and uh hot banana peppers on it and then it's drizzled with honey on top of it so it's like a spicy pizza with honey on it i had that years ago and thought that was fire and now the hot honey thing is coming out um i'll definitely have to try this pizza jones i'm not obviously even if i wanted to i couldn't send a delivery anywhere with a message um so i thought that was like they roll this out and make this a big deal and say, okay, only people in New York, Miami, and Chicago can do this? Why? Like, are you losing that much on the free deliveries? Like, it's it's like $5 to get it delivered anyway, and then you tip on top of that. So really, a delivery is already going to, you know, it's already costing you probably 12 13 bucks. You can't take your four ninety nine surcharge out of it and actually pay your workers what they're worth. Like if I could do this, I would send the pizza. I would send the pizza back to pizza hut and break up with pizza hut (laughs) uh, for, for not, for not having this uh, more places. You know, I think, I think that a lot of people would have done it. I mean, you we just saw the Applebee's what a couple weeks ago, roll out the pretty much the, all you can eat applebee's for a year deal i didn't i didn't do a follow-up on that i don't know how big of it that popped off i didn't wait in any lines or try to get that uh but i'm sure people did yeah there was no Uh, point when there was no alcohol included 
Yeah, I think they, I mean, that was definitely in the tiny print because what they really want you to do is come eat all that salty appetizer, uh, bowling alley food. And then you're like, well, I already got this for free. So now we're going to run up the alcohol sales. That was really what that was about. It's probably, I mean, what do they say? The house always wins. They, they did their marketing research on that, I'm sure. But Jones for this, like why roll it out to like, okay, here, here's the crazy part. If you're in Miami and you want to order Pizza Hut, sure, especially for the novelty of it. If I live in New York City, I'm not ordering Pizza Hut. You know how many fire-ass pizza places are around there? I'm not. And for another thing, if I'm about to break up with some old girl, I'm not sending her a pizza. <laughs> I'll send her the message. You can take. You can send. I'll send myself the pizza, and then maybe drop the box off on her front door or something like. Obviously, I wonder how many people are going to actually do this, um, and it be legit. I kind of, I, I don't know. I think if you were in a relationship with someone and you weren't feeling it anymore, and you sent uh, a Pizza Hut box that was like this little theme branded as a goodbye pizza pie, I feel that would be almost as disrespectful as cheating. Um, I still, I mean, it obviously is gimmicky. Uh, gimmicky, gimmicky enough, Jones for uh for Tom Fuller this week. I would be shocked if if this is going to happen that often and be a serious breakup. I would think more times than not, these orders are going to be a gag joke of sorts. Yeah, I mean, and and another gag thing. Speaking of, we'll add to this of of, of kind of just uh woefully sad what was me type valentine's day uh break up with your partner or you know screw your ex type shit yeah i'm in san antonio right now this has been out for a couple weeks but san antonio zoo will once again let you name a cockroach after your ex and have it fed to an animal uh they're doing that right now that money does not go to any san antonio pizza joint or a uh you know a pizza hut for that matter uh, you could name a bug and had a little bit fed to an animal that eats that bug. So probably, I don't know, probably a freaking lizard, uh, would eat the cockroach I'm guessing, or something like a, yeah, probably a lizard, a frog, an iguana. I don't know. Chameleon. Who knows? Uh, and that costs $10 Jones. That's now that's the cost of a hot honey pizza. Probably. Uh, but the do- donation is non-refundable and will help the San Antonio zoo. And its mission of securing a future for wildlife. If I'm, I mean, I would think I would rather name the cockroach, but it's not like you get to feed that cockroach. It's not like they're taking a video of it. I, I, you know, you might get like a little thing in the mail that says, here's a picture of your cockroach, and it's the same one. Right. Um, Look, Valentine's Day is a fake holiday. It's, it's just a, uh, stunt by Hallmark to sell cards. Um, I believe it. Now, it, it was fun back in the day, though, in elementary school. I don't know if you guys did this, where you would make, like, your little Valentine's bug, like, box or bag, and they would pass out all the candy and and, and do that. That was cool. Right. But then after that, you know, I've I've shelled out money. For Valentine's Day before. It's kind of like. I'm trying to think. What's another fake holiday? 
Um, let's see. I love St. Patrick's Day, but some people would call that a fake holiday. Yeah, I guess you know, and I you you mentioned that one. That's actually one of my favorites, uh, because everybody's in a joyous mood. I think so, that you go to Mayo. Yeah, you know what's funny about that? I was looking here, like living in San Antonio. They don't do Cinco de Mayo really here. You know what they do do here? St. Patrick's Day. They get crunk. I've been here. I've been here for St. Patrick's Day for several seasons, going to watch the Spurs, because uh, that would be like usually the weekend I would take, and or that weekend I would come down here and watch the Spurs play on St. Patrick's Day. And I want to even say they turn the river green. Not that the river's dirty enough anyway to already be green, but they just dredged it and cleaned the water. So the water's clean right now in the San Antonio River. The most uh, St. Patrick's Day experience I've ever been a part of was in, of all places, Wichita, Kansas. It's, it's the weirdest places that turn up for it. They had a big parade and everything. I'm like, this oh, they had a parade? Oh, yes. That's pretty interesting. Wichita, of all places. Yes, yes. And then uh, in Manhattan, Kansas, on St. Patrick's Day, uh, usually that's during spring break. And so they have something before spring break called Fake Patty's Day, where the entire city shuts down and just turns into a booze fest uh, in Manhattan uh, to celebrate St. Patty's Day before the kids go off for spring break. Yeah, you know, another holiday that it does have some sort of uh I guess it, it has the 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 Catholic significance, I guess. I don't want to piss off any Catholics, but actually not I really don't care. You could call Mardi Gras a fake holiday, Fat Tuesday. Yeah. It's kinda like I mean oddly enough, you know, Saint Patrick's Day, Catholic has to do with drinking. Mardi Gras huh, has to do with drinking. Uh you know, the Catholics can't just keep coming up with these fake holidays and it's an excuse to get drunk. That's what it's coming down to. I will. I'm actually going to Mardi Day, a Mardi Gras party here in San Antonio here in like like a week and a half. So I can't say that Mardi Gras is fun. I would have a lot of fun. That's on my bucket list. Like I don't. Maybe I'm secretly uh um one of these Catholics too that that have these fake holidays. But you're right. I mean, St. Patrick's Day and Mardi Gras uh, are way more fun than Valentine's Day. Oh, well, yeah. Well, it depends, then, like, on, how they, as as depends on how the night thing, ends, I guess. As far as this pizza thing goes, like, why would I want to reward my ex with a pizza? Like, why does she get that pizza? I want the I pizza. guess if you wanted to end on good terms. <laughs> but I, I don't think I don't think someone you break up with and send them a pizza as like, hey, sorry, we're breaking up. I don't think they're going to take that too well either. Right. Here's, here's another one. Around that you broke up with her with a pizza and couldn't say to her face. Yeah, see, that's why I'm thinking like, okay, you know, that I feel like it would it would do more worse than good in that case. Harper. And I, I think if you want the pizza, you should just order it and – go over there after you eat the pizza or eat the pizza after and 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 do it face to face. Jones another one I just came across. This is 
this started off as the pizza, which is Tom Fuller itself, but really just the Tom Fuller at the end of the day is all these ridiculous, like gimmicky things that, that people do around Valentine's Day like this one. And, oh, where is it? Somewhere in New Jersey. Oh, Blackwood, New Jersey. The home, and this, you know, I can get behind this one. Um, this does good. The Homeward Bound Pet Adoption Center in Blackwood, New Jersey, launched its Neuter Your Ex donation event for Valentine's Day late last month. According to an Instagram post from the organization, a person can donate $50 to the shelter to have a feral cat named after their ex and then neutered. The cat will then be spayed or neutered before being released to their colony as part of our Trap Neuter Return program. Uh, it's absolutely taken off, Eric Schwartz, Director of Development, said. Uh, Jones, I'm thinking I would... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd probably pick the Spay the Cat event. Like, you've already had enough kids. Here you go. Here's your $50 and donate to a cat in need. That's 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 funny. Uh, I'm yeah. sure there's so many of these ridiculous gimmicks. Yeah, it's it's a little absurd. Yeah. Um now here here's here's a couple key pointers, folks. Uh while while we're on this topic, uh of love and Valentine's Day. You know she's the one, she's a keeper if she wants the chocolate and the flowers and all that the day after Valentine's Day when everything is on sale and half price. That, that that tells me she's uh fiscally responsible. There you go. I mean, no better time to buy candy than the day after. And not to get off a tangent either, you mentioned candy and the best days to buy it are obviously after the holidays that it was meant for. Yes. Uh coworkers were talking to you. It's funny you mentioned about like holiday candy. Someone said the other day at work that Easter candy is the best candy from holidays and i had to agree and then all the same no i mean like because like okay for halloween you get the reese's pumpkins right let's let's use like reese's for example you get the pumpkins for christmas they're i think they're shaped like i don't i think maybe shaped like a easter I you think get it's... like peeps peeps are so overrated it's just i hate now peeps are shit peeps can die uh peeps are the worst now that's you get a little con in there. Peeps are shit. They're the worst. Like, but the Reese's thing, like, so Christmas they're shaped like Santa sleigh. Now this is where it gets better. Oh, Reese's Valentine's Day shaped like a heart. Reese's the Easter eggs, the little chocolate eggs that have the Reese's in them, or yeah. they have like the Butterfinger or the uh, Crunch Bar in them. Yeah, those are top. Those are top tier. Okay. Okay. But that was that was just I thought that was funny, but I'm I'm down for some Valentine's Day candy too. I like the the cherry suckers, I'm not gonna lie. Big fan uh, of the cherry suckers. The other point I need to make, um this isn't necessarily about Valentine's Day, but about dating and, and love and all this. Uh another sign you know if she's the one or not. I know this has been a big topic on the TikTok over the last couple months. Tom, she she's got to be good enough where she's okay with going to the cheesecake factory. You know, I and all and this is this is another never have I ever. I've never been to the cheesecake factory. So I've been to the cheesecake factory a couple times. Um I don't feel like I, it's that, but I've had the cheesecake from it. 
this is pretty good, but I've never set let foot. Me, in let me finish. Let me finish. The the Cheesecake Factory has one of the most diverse menus you will find. There are so many options. And the food is just good. It's like, you know, what what's the saying? Uh never half ass uh two things, whole ass one thing, Ron Swanson. Right, yeah. <laughs> they took that to their entire menu. They kind of half ass all these like 400 options of food it's okay some are better than others you know it's, it's it's solid but nothing is no one leaves the cheesecake factory and be like damn i just had a great meal the best night of my life what you do for a date at the cheesecake factory is you come away with a you know affordable night that's that's it wasn't necessarily cheap but it wasn't expensive and she got all sorts of options to choose from and a nice setting. Like, it's a, it's a decent environment. Like, I kid you not, the first time I went to the Cheesecake Factory, it was in L.A., and we had to valet park. I mean, That's so, pretty crazy. Yeah, like, it, it's it, it's a little bit different. You know, when you had to valet somewhere, even if it's the Cheesecake Factory, you still had to valet. So, um cheesecake factory if she's not good enough for the cheesecake factory she's not good enough for me plain and simple there is that where you is that where you're going this valentine's day uh to be determined where i'm going valentine's day <laughs> there you go uh that's a that's a work in in progress um i'll report back on how it goes though yeah I, I, we'll need one that'll that'll be a next week thing um yeah, this time next week we need a we're kicking off the show next week with the Jones Valentine Valentine's Day report. Yes. So uh I'll say this, a good sign as far as my logic goes. Um we we were out um let's see this was this was after Christmas. This is around close to New Year's Eve. A very nice Italian place. And this is the, one of the first times I was actually out with with her. Um, and you had a very good meal and all this. And as we we're in the car leaving, I said some type of joke of sorts. I said, uh, I said, uh, yeah, this sure beats the Olive Garden, but man, I love the Olive Garden. And she says, oh, I do too. She's like, all, all, Olive Garden is good. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking two things like, oh, she likes the Olive Garden. That's good. But then I'm like, well, why didn't we just go to the damn Olive Garden then? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Olive Garden is. I mean, <laughs> I've I've been to some solid Italian places too that outrank Olive Garden, but Olive Garden's there when you need them, right? Like they're they're the one that never leaves you astray. You yeah. know what you're getting every time you go to Olive Garden. You know what you're getting. Yeah, uh, and I I don't think I've ever had a better breadstick. To be honest, at least not one with one without cheese. Now I've had a breadstick with cheese that that wins, but a regular old breadstick that they bring to you for essentially free. I've never had a better one. And then the salad. Um, the salad David, is solid. David Starr loves the Olive Garden. Like if, if David Starr is buying dinner, we're eating at either the Whataburger or Olive Garden most of the time. Uh, that, is, that is incredible. He, he should have an Olive Garden car. You know, the very first time I went to dinner with David, he bought dinner for everybody with gift cards from the Olive Garden. That how many did he have? He had like 
like like four $25 gift cards. That was that was definitely in a gift bag uh from a racing event. <laughs> <laughs> and he he had suggested, like it was very specific. I remember, like, uh he said, How about we go to dinner at the Olive Garden? Like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> like you know, my my mom loves Olive Garden. She, we used to, we used to drive like maybe once a month. I feel like from Bartlesville all the way up to, I forget. We would eat there for the longest time. We would go to the one in Utica Square in Tulsa. But if we didn't go that one, obviously you knew we were going to go to the one on Seventy First. And then Owasso got one, and then we started going to Olive Garden all the time. Yeah, my my, my order at the Olive Garden, like I'll, I'll get like the fettuccine Alfredo and they had this deal for a long time. You could pay like, like four or five extra bucks and they would pack you a whole other meal to go. And like, I was doing that for the longest time. And then like, I get a bottle, get a bottle of white wine to take home to like, Oh, that, that, that was the life. And, and it would cost me still less than what I, I spent at the nice Italian restaurant here in Dallas. Um, my mother, Tom, was more of a she's more of a red lobster girl. Like that was growing up, like if we were going out, like we were going to the red lobster and getting those cheddar bay biscuits. You know, those are good. Those those are that's another thing that's hard to beat in terms of like chain, big chain restaurant bread bread wise. You're gonna put the cheddar bay biscuit up against that's the draft season. I hate that we're already getting in draft season, but we are uh you put the the cheddar bay biscuit up against the Olive Garden breadstick. You might even you could even get a little weird and put put those two up against like the chilies, chips, and salsa. Ooh, I mean the the, the chilies bacon cheese fries. Well, I'm thinking of like things that they bring out to you for like free. Oh yes, yeah. it's not ever free, but you know, with the purchase of a meal, they bring it out. Right. Right. Which I don't know if they still do the chips and salsa chilies anymore. I think you have to pay for them. Yeah. Which, damn, chilies on that shit. They're probably doing some gimmicky ass Valentine's Day special too. Right. I, 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 I'm, I'm feeling God in this chilies tonight. Uh, Right. Oh, on that note, we will uh, get out of here. Appreciate you guys being here with us. Uh, Coach Bo as well. Subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media on X, at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at uh, Studio underscore Soapbox. Facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live. Facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox. And uh, on the gram, at Tyler Jones Live. It's Thomas Jones, Jones underscore Report. You can find us there. For our entire crew, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. It's been another distance, Joseph. We'll see you next week.